Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Of the NRL Supercoach All Stars podcast, Barnsley back again, second podcast into the post shutdown era, and this week we got on board the catfish himself, Wilfred Z, past champion and also host of the Supercoach Champions podcast. Wilfred, I had you back on on uh, I think it was January, so it's- I wanted to have the chat. It's always having the the stats, which I don't really always go through in my own podcast, so. Yeah, keen for it. <laughs> well, whenever we can get a, a past champion on, no matter how long ago it was, Wilfred, we'll always take the opportunity, mate. <laughs> Still within the past decade, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... I don't, I don't even know how I'm going to intro you anymore if we get to 2025 and we're doing this. It's... um geez, it's, it's, I'm not even going to be able to use past champion anymore, but that's right. You can live on it for a few more years. <laughs> just, just hopefully, uh, um, my podcast is still running. You can still introduce me as a podcast host. <laughs> Before we even get stuck in everything, like me and Billy spoke about the Supercoach landscape and sort of tra- trade strategies and stuff with all the trade changes and the amount of trades that we now have as well as the Super Trade round coming up for round three. Uh, but interested in your take, sort of how do you, how are you looking at things now that the Supercoach landscape's changed quite a bit? I've actually been finding the whole like the past few weeks really exhausting and every day it seems like there's new things coming out and you know I, I kind of backed off from it for a while because it just felt like it was too much coming in every day and it wasn't until the last couple of days where I really just sat down and went through it all um, I had a chance to record with Guy earlier so uh, just really setting out our thoughts there as well but for me like I you know it's obviously going to be really unique the whole the rest of the season, we talked about how five trades were a fan of it. I think it's necessary. Um, for me, like, you know, I need more than five trades to fix my, fix my team basically because I've been smashed, um, with, with COVID-19 related issues, uh, as well as obviously, you know, the Pong suspension and other stuff like that as well. You know, if I didn't get five trades, I'd be far less motivated to keep playing or at least try as hard. But five is probably a good number. Gives me enough to fix it. Initially, I wasn't too big of a fan of the whole, you know, un- untouched um, overall trade numbers. But the more I thought about it, the more I figured it's probably easier to just leave it as is, rather than reducing the number of trades and then let's say things change later in the season. You know, if there's another outbreak or whatever, and let's say they they still continue the season, but they put in place things like you know anyone who has symptoms of COVID has to get tested, but they also have to get sat for two weeks or whatever. I, I don't know. Obviously, this is all speculation, but if something like that happened, you know, you're going to need a lot of trades to manage it. Uh, there's also the idea that you're playing 18 weeks straight, no breaks, no buys, nothing like that. Uh, you can imagine the injury toll is going to be higher. All of those things considered, I thought, look, you know, it made sense for them to kind of leave it untouched. I think I'm in pretty much the same spot with my team and um you know, of course, Billy was on the opposite end of the spectrum, so he disagreed with the five trades a little bit. But you know, that's what you get when you've got a team that's it's not is in as much trouble as ours are. I agree with what you said, and I didn't really raise it last week either. In that, the other thing with not touching the trade numbers overall is that there's definitely going to be future impacts that they're accounting for, and they don't want to just. I mean, you could imagine getting to like round twelve or something, 
and some big stuff going down and super coach having a turnaround and say, oh, guys, we're going to add another four trades back. Look, imagine how much all the league leaders in head-to-heads would scream and everyone that was near the pointy end of overall would be annoyed at it because they're going well and they don't want guys to get extra trades. Like They'd put themselves into that type of corner as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no way they could do that. Whereas if they leave things untouched, if stuff happens, then, you know, we've got the trades to deal with it. If it doesn't, everyone's in the same boat. So I think this is probably the cleanest way they can deal with it. And I mean, at the end of the day, and I think we all know this underlyingly, the underlying issue is that they probably want as many clicks as possible. The more trades you have left, the more people are going to keep playing. Uh, I think strategically there's heaps that we can really dig into and I'm sure, I mean, I listened to what you and Billy were talking about last week and I think, yeah, being able to play the draw, obviously we don't have the draw, but later on being able to make one or two week trades um, as, as luxury trades as we would have called them in the past, uh, not having to worry about, you know, never trade a keeper type rules, a lot of things like that I think uh, will be yeah really interesting to see how this season plays out. Well, the real simple thing to consider as well is, Trading's a lot of fun. Like, you know, yeah, everybody loves trading. It's what, it's what everybody wants to do. And as much as even the seasoned super coaches are like, you know, oh, you know, you need to make it harder, you need to separate. They still love trading. You know, trading's the number one thing. I mean, I know that when I get towards the end of a season, I start to lose interest, even if, whether I'm going well or bad or okay, I still lose the same amount of interest when I lose trades and I have none left. Like, it's less fun. It's, it's something that keeps you active every week. And it's just fun to do. So, I mean, I think this year is going to be a lot funner in that we've got all those yeah. extra trades as well, which is something, you know, us fanatics kind of lose sight of sometimes in while we're playing this game to have fun as well. I worked out that you can basically max trade, you know, from round one to basically round 18, and you'll only have two rounds, like round 19, 20, where you won't have any trades left. Mm. So that's unheard of. And, I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to need those trades because we need to make money faster, there's going to be a lot more short-term cash grabs, all that kind of stuff, uh, which, yeah, I agree. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, you know, part of Supercoach, a lot of the good things are when you nail your trade-in, right? That's a unique feeling. It's really good. You know, it's, it's up there with nailing your 150-plus score captain. Yep. Like, those are the two best feelings I think you can get in Supercoach. Aside from when you win 50 grand, that's pretty good too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I had to throw that in there, sorry. Of course you did. <laughs> That's all right. I'd be throwing it in too if I won the 50 grand. Don't worry. So at the end of this year, when I'm jumping on podcasts for next preseason, we'll be able to talk about my 50 grand. All right. But until then. Oh, look, I'd love to see it, mate. <laughs> um, so just for the listeners, this is going to be a trader palooza po- podcast. Uh, we're going to be focusing on everything trading. We're going to go for as long as we need to, kind of like the, the fight club rules, except I don't want anyone to not talk about fight club with this. Everyone talk about this podcast, spread it around, share it and everything. But. Trades talk will go on as long as they need to until somebody taps out or Wilfred taps out and says he's done. We're going to keep talking trades tonight. So there's going to be a lot of it. Trader Palooza's going to focus on uh, guys that we're going to trade in as well. We're not going to focus too much on trade outs because they're pretty self-explanatory now. Um, and also with the new trade rules we're just talking about, it's a lot easier with so many trades um, to dump guns and so forth that you maybe couldn't do for a couple of weeks previous years. So... We're not going to go through that too much. We will touch on it a little bit, but um, we'll also next week have a mailbag back for the All-Stars podcast. So if you've got some specific trade-out questions, you can pose that to us during the week and we'll be including it in next week's podcast. So that's pretty much what we're going to do today. Trader Palooza, it's on. 
anytime I can have an obscure 90s rock grunge reference to a, to a Supercoach podcast, I'll do it. So uh, Lollapalooza, Wilfred, you be aware of what Lollapalooza was back in the 90s? Yeah, I am aware of it, but look, I'm not, I, I won't lie, I won't be as familiar with it as you would be. <laughs> all right, well, we won't, we won't get into it now. I won't start rattling off all the bands you need to listen to, but when we're going through this as well, we're going to look at each position too, guys. So we're going to go down from hooker all the way down to fullback. Uh, we're going to be focusing on guys that are either going to be able to generate a lot of cash, generate the points, or that might be a risk or even a potential pot option. And that's basically how we're going to break down our discussion. First of all, we did get the draw out. Um, so one of the caveats before we get stuck into hooker is um, we only know the next two weeks of the draw. Uh, so that's, I don't know, maybe you see it a bit differently, Wilfred, but for me it really hampers, um, I guess, my comfort level. Um, and I, I sort of feel like we're working with only, well, we are working with only a little bit of the information. We really should have the whole draw. Um, ideally, but we don't. Two weeks, you can't put much stock in, but because there is so many trades available, you can look more short-term than normal. So I know we're going to be talking about some Cowboys players, but Cowboys versus Gold Coast this week, you know, that's that's the draw for this um, next week, and that's going to be a real blockbuster that you can target. So I am definitely having a look at the draw, just probably not as much as I normally would if I could see sort of three, four rounds in advance, I guess. Yeah, look, I agree. I mean, you know, two rounds is better than nothing. And fingers crossed we get the rest of it released by, say, Friday or whatever. For me, like, I think you can still use the two week to two rounds to focus more on the cash grabs, I reckon. You know, if, especially if you get grabbing an outside back, like. So talking about trades, um, why don't you quickly tell us what, what your current trades are? I know that they're going to change, but. What are you currently looking at doing? Uh, look, my, my trades aren't too hard, basically. I've got, you know, problems to deal with. So Nathan Cleary has to go. Damien Cook has to go. David Feeder's on the way out as well. Uh, and then I've got the likes of Bailey Simonson or Wonga Blake or Callum Watkins, you know, basically two or three uh, center wings that are going to ditch, basically. So, you know, Appy's coming in for Cook. Uh, Cleary is going for Dylan Brown. And... Um, David Fido out for Tamalolo. You know, I took the punt that Lolo might start a bit slow. Obviously didn't work that way. In a shortened season, I can't afford not to have Lolo any longer. So I've got to get him in. Uh, and then looking at, you know, grabbing either like an Asan Masters or, uh, and most likely, um, I'm going to grab Stags just for the cash grab and the potential he might be a keeper. All very good trades. I couldn't, um, couldn't be negative about any of those moves. I'm a little bit similar. Um, I guess my strategy is a bit similar. I'm, I've seen a lot of people either go for, you know, cash grabbing, making money priority. And I think that the season's too short to only look at that. Uh, and then I've seen a lot of other people just go for pure points and you're not going to get anywhere in any type of supercoach season if you're not making any money. So I've gone right in the middle. I've got, you know, three guns, hopefully three guns, depending on how one of them works out. Uh, another guy that's going to be points, but also a cash grab. And another guy that's going to be a pure cash grab. So I think, and I'm kind of balancing that pretty well. So drink water for the points and cash. Uh, to Noel Brown for the cash, provided the team lists are kind with the Warriors injuries. Uh, Tom Lolo, Madison and Masters as three guns coming in to sort of stabilize my team. So that's probably going to stick to my five. And I hope so, because I've probably spent about 10 hours getting to that. Yeah. Drinky's a player I'm really interested in as well. But the problem for me is, is I don't know who to trade out. Like I, trading out Cleary. I, I'm, I'm going to Dylan Brown. I could trade him to drink water um, by swapping 
uh, George Williams up to halfback, but I'm not entirely comfortable with that. Um, I'd much rather, I, I feel far more comfortable with Dylan Brown there for two weeks, basically. The other option I could do is trade out Ponga um, for Drinky and then uh, swap maybe like just basically ditch Billy Walters the following week back to Ponga or someone like that via dual positioning. So that's an option I've thrown out as well. It's just I'm a little bit worried about my center wing. And obviously I haven't decided, but I could maybe plug Zach Lomax in for a week. Uh, I mean, the Dragons do have the Warriors, so it's probably not a bad call, to be honest, to, to roll them out for a starting center wing spot this, this round. Drinkwater's a uh, great matchup and his cash rises too, so it's definitely an option that I haven't quite um, you know decided on myself. Well, it was easy for me. I just had to get rid of the karate kid, Cody Walker, so... You know, it's, it's a no-brainer there. Uh, whether he gets, even if he wasn't getting suspended, he was on the chopping block. So, like, you know, he'll probably end up getting suspended now anyway. So, yeah, it makes it pretty easy to get drink quarter in. But let's go into talking some detail. Talk about hooker first as our position. So, as far as generating cash, I mean, this guy's also going to generate points, but really getting him in for the cash, and that is Appy Corusia. So. Coruscant, I ended up starting with, so thankfully it's not an issue for me. Um, last minute ditching Cook and going for Coruscant worked out marvellously, but he's now got a minus 67 DE, uh, which is, I think, the second best out of anyone going into round three, and he's only 338k. So he's probably going to do well. Um, even with Cleary out the next couple of weeks, I kind of like it as well, um, and Newcastle and the Warriors are a pretty decent draw for them. Um, he might take a bit more attack as well, a bit more control, because they don't have Cleary there demanding the ball. He's probably he's going to be the senior guy in that spine. So I really like him for his points the next couple of weeks. Uh, but for anyone that doesn't have him, uh, for me, it's a it's a real no-brainer because he's a minus 67 BE. He's going to make a ton of cash, and he's 338K, which is pretty easy to achieve. If you've got Damien Cook, uh, with the amount of trades that we have, Wilfred, Going Cook to Appy and then even in three or four weeks going back to Cook, uh, I've got no issue with that and I'd be doing it for sure if I had Cook. So, I mean, Appy's the big one in the hooker spot for, for this round three matchup, surely. A hundred percent. Like, he is a must-have as much as you can have for round three, I reckon. Uh, the draw is great. Uh, the break-even's perfect. Uh, and, you know, the price point is there. I mean, my only hesitation with Appy was always going to be his injury risk. And when you've got the alignment of such, even if he steps onto the field, he's making cash, basically. Like, that to me is just, you know, there's no reason not to take that risk. You know, he has the potential to be a season-long keeper if he stays healthy and keeps playing the minutes that he does. So he's the perfect example of, you know, the type of guy you want to grab this round. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, even just looking at a small sample size of numbers, he had a 57 base so far across his two games, which is... Superb, 69 and 45 in pure base in his first two games. And he scored 97 and 76 points. Only one of those actually had a try that he scored as well, and it wasn't the 97. So he started off really well. Um, he's obviously not going to maintain an 87 average in points, but he doesn't need to. Um, and uh, people should be getting him in. The other hooker that we've got to talk about, though, is a risky proposition that I think a lot of people aren't thinking through just yet. And that is Connor Watson. So... I, obviously, Watson has some appeal now because the Knights don't have a nine. And I understand he's 506k. He's not, you know, incredibly expensive. He ended up doing 55 points a game last season as it was. And that was only in 68 minutes. And I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, 
he's going to do 60 to 65 points a game for sure because he's going to play 80 minutes at hooker. Uh, and a lot of people are making that assumption. He also started the season really well. Um, he only scored 43 points in um, round one, but he only played 41 minutes. And then he scored 77 points in round two in 50 minutes. Uh, that included a try and a line break. So he's actually started the season pretty well, and he had some lower-minute games last year that were pretty good. But he's he's a huge risk, and I think we've both seen a lot of mail from, from Wacko and also from other places that suggests that Randall... Uh, or even possibly Kurt Mann or somebody else is going to end up spelling Watson at nine. They're not going to play him 80 minutes at nine. And he does have a BE of 39 as well, Wilfred. So it's not like you can't just wait a week and see what the rotation is. So I see it as hugely risky. If you don't have Appy, I see it as suicidal going for Watson instead. Yeah, look, if you don't have Appy, then absolutely you've got to get him. I wouldn't even look at Watson if I didn't have Appy. Um, I mean, I'm surprised he's talking so much about Watson when Billy's not here, right? <laughs> well, being his uh, his man crush and all, but <laughs> I'm, I'm giving him a bit of a podium to um, to get up on next week because we're going to give him all this juice, and he's just going to go on a massive, massive tear next week after this podcast. Look, I'll be fair. I'm I'll, I'm a big fan of Watson playing hooker, especially if he gets 80 minutes. Like I think from memory, he averaged 79 when he played like 75 plus minutes at hooker. Uh, in his, in his games last year. Uh, the problem is, is I just don't think he's playing 80 minutes. Um, I don't even know if he's playing 50 minutes or 60 minutes at hooker. There is some chat that he's still going to come off the bench and Randall's going to start. So absolutely too risky. I'd wait at least one week, if not two, just to see how that rotation works. Um, I mean, even if he's named, I, I can suspect, I, I really think Randall will be in the 19 or whatever so that you won't even know until the final team list whether or not Randall's in the team, and that's just too risky for me to, to even bother playing with. So, yeah, absolutely, just give him a week or two. You, as, as you pointed out, it's not like he's got a negative break even. Sure, he might go up, but it's not like he's going to be more than you know, 30, 40 grand more next week or whatever. Yeah, and you're better off. Like He's probably he's probably going to be most teams' second hooker. You're going to be better off filling in your other positions to start in your starting 13 than bothering with that in a, in a week that you can fix up your team. So... Definitely stay away this week. Understand the interest, but wait until next week. You're not going to lose out just by waiting another week. Let's move on to front row forward because there's a heap of people to talk about in front row forward and hookers pretty barren as it always is. So the first guy, well, let's talk about our, our few cashies. There's three main cashies that are going to make a ton of cash in the next few weeks at least. Um, and the first one is at the New Zealand Warriors, Tanua Brown. Now, Tanua Brown's base price, 171k. He's got a minus 28 BE, which is really solid. And I think there's a couple of reasons why he should be uh, owned and purchased a lot more than what he has been lately. So the first thing is Armau is obviously out, um, and that's out for the season. Then as well as that, we've got uh, another middle in Jazz Tabaga out as well. Injuries are really going to help him, uh, but as far as the, you know, the eye test, the first two rounds he actually looked really good, um, and he played 39 and 40 minutes in the first two rounds for... 36 and 46 points. He's averaging a 41 base in his you know, 40 minutes a game, which is really good. He's, even if he didn't have all those injuries, Wilfred, he was still going to probably play his 40 minutes a game. But I really like, with those injuries, how even if he gets named on the bench, it's going to solidify his role of at least 40 minutes as a floor and have some upside as well. So I'm really into him. I, I've got him in, obviously, from my trades. And I've been a little bit surprised at the... The lack of people jumping on, I guess. 
I don't know if that's just because like it's only been the last couple of days that the injury news has really come out about the other middles at the Warriors. Up until now, we thought he's probably going to miss out once um, Tavanga got came back into the team. Obviously, got Parsi coming back in as well, and the expectation that Blair would end up playing more um, in the middle as opposed to potentially having to play some minutes on the edge. Um, so with Tavanga out, although I did see from NRL Physio that he might only be out for a couple of weeks as opposed to long-term because they were concerned it might have been an ACL or some other serious knee injury. So it didn't seem like as bad. Uh, but, yeah, still TBC on, on what's actually happened to Tavanga. Um, but, yeah, look, I think you know, his bottom dollar, it's a great option. If you need to generate cash, then that's the type of thing you'd be going for. The only thing is, is like you just got to be mindful. You know, He may not make cash that quickly. So do we have the luxury of waiting for, you know, a, a slow burning front row forward or, you know, is there a better option? Uh, I don't know if you're planning to talk about him, but I was going to bring up Gula um, as, as a perhaps potentially a better option over to Noel Brown, even though he is a little bit more expensive to start with. Well, we are, so that's a great segue. So, uh, <laughs> through your bone there. <laughs> Good one. So Gula is um, a bit more expensive. He's 220k. So I mean, it's already a 50k difference there when you're looking at money making. He's got, you know, twice as good a break even at, at minus 69 or more than twice as good. But he does have that extra 50k price tag and he does, you know, he is going to be in a team that I think that he's got less solidified role compared to what uh, Tanua Brown does. He obviously had a massive game the first week, but it was against the Titans, and he scored a try and line break and picked up a heap of tackle breaks for his 94 points. The second week, um, and yeah, that was against the Titans the first week, sorry. The second week against the Warriors, he scored 44 points in his 50 minutes. But again, we had a whole heap of you know injury issues with that Canberra pack, and I mean, Bateman's pushing to be back round three. If he's not back round three, he's going to be back the week the week after. And that's going to push either the horse or Tappany back to the bench. And Gula's the guy that could get hurt out of that as well. So, I mean, I've got huge doubts on his minutes. You know, I think that he's probably going to go from 47 minutes to maybe 37 minutes. But he does have a high BE, so I understand why you're into him. I guess um, the thing with Gula versus Tanoa Brown, like the thing I kind of work through is that it's really worth planning your trades for the next couple of weeks. So Gula, I think, is appealing because um, just based off his really low break-even, I think it's negative 69 from memory. But um, I worked out that if he scores, say, 35 in this coming week, right, that's about 90 grand straight up in one week that he might go up in price. Yep. The, compare that to, to Noah Brown. Like, if he scores 235s over the next two weeks, right, so uh, Gula, I think, goes up about 115K in two weeks. So that's 90K one week and then another 25 the next week. Uh, to Noah Brown, go up about 100K in the same time period with 235 scores. Um, so that's relative, even though you're paying an extra 50 on Gula to start with. But it's the third week that really makes a difference where to Noah Brown, I think, ends up going about 120K from his current price, Gula and Max is out basically at 115k or thereabouts. So I think when you think about, well, what are you doing next week or the week after or round six potentially, that's where I think you might actually think there might be some benefits to t- taking Gula over to Noah Brown, um, depending on what your trades are going to be. Like if you can turn an extra 90k on Gula from this week into someone else straight away and strengthen your 17 straight up, 
that's a legitimate option, I think, for some people. Uh, if you're purely just wanting to generate as much cash as possible and obviously free up as much money so you can make other trades, then Tanoa Brown's the, the standout there, given his bottom dollar, got the minutes, got the job security, seemingly. Um, but if you want the really quick cash grab, then Gula's definitely, I think, ahead in that regard. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely an option. I mean, I, I think that the big thing for me is the extra 50 grand um, and the fact that in three weeks, uh, Tanoa Brown will end up on top of Gula probably anyway. Gula is playing the Melbourne Storm the first week back, so I do yeah. expect probably a 35 score. So, yeah, I, I lean towards Tanoa Brown anyway, but I understand what the appeal of Gula is. Probably what I would say, though, when I mentioned that extra 50 grand, I mean, even just with the trades that I made, I really had to scrape and scrape and scrape to make my trades work. Like, I wasn't joking when I said I spent about 10 hours in a million different combinations. <laughs> I seriously did because I kept being like 12, 15, 25K short of all these trades I wanted to do. So I ended up with 12 grand in the bank. I, I could really work it and, um, you know, spend an extra 50K, but it would be hard. So some people just aren't going to be able to work it, basically. Um, to do their other trades as well. The other thing too is that saying that I've only got 12 grand in the bank, you know, that makes me feel a bit uneasy. If I could have an extra 50k in the bank, I would always rather it because there's always stuff that's going to come up. And the problems that I had with my trades this week, I'm going to have next week or the week after where I'm going to be that, you know, tiny bit short that I wish that I had that extra money in the bank. So if I can save 50k on a front row forward that I'm not really going to play anyway, just to make money over the next couple of weeks, and I'm always going to go with save the 50k. Uh, that's just me. I think it's a bit safer, and I, I really think that he's got uh, Tanua Brown's got the long term appeal, but also the upside appeal where he could get extra minutes. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up picking up an extra 15 minutes just because of the rotation and stuff. And he's a young guy, so this is a segue, Wilfred, that I'm going to ask you a question on with front row forwards. As a general idea and strategy on what might happen, you know, I said to Billy last week that I think some of these bigger forwards, particularly some of the bigger older forwards, might get eased into it because they haven't been training too hard for a couple of months now. Uh, and there is some, I guess, health concerns and fitness concerns that are definitely going to be there going into round three. So I'm thinking that these younger guys like the Tanua Browns and stuff have more opportunity early on to get more minutes whilst guys like, you know, Andrew Fafitas, Josh Papalis and so forth the veteran front row forwards are probably going to be on the downside on minutes to give them a bit of a rest and not have to run them too hard. Yeah, look, it's a legitimate take on that. I mean, you, you mentioned Papali though. That doesn't doesn't that just help Gula with his minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does for sure. Yeah, uh, but I mean, yeah, look, I, I think that's very true. We just don't know. Obviously, there's not there's not as much preseason slash you know preseason with air quotes. Uh, information coming out about how the clubs are training and how the players are looking and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like it's almost like we've gone into a preseason, but we're not getting all the trial reports and the, the you know, training the house down reports and all that stuff coming out like <laughs> we normally do. I imagine because the media can't get in, right? They can't yeah, um, that's right. attend training and all that kind of stuff. So that's the, yeah, it's the, definitely the big question mark in there. Having said that, you know, is there a world where Papali has actually spent the last two months just running nonstop? And he actually looks really slim. I don't know. I haven't seen any training photos. There is no world where that <laughs> happened. <laughs> there just isn't much, yeah. It's like looking for Planet call. Hulk in the Avengers or something. Planet Hulk doesn't exist, Wilfred. It just isn't there. That's a fair call. 
But look, I, I think I agree. I mean, like at, at the end of the day, you know, where you can buy a cheaper option, it makes sense. Um, look, having said that, you're talking about someone who's about to trade out Damien Cook. So I'm like rolling in cash this week. Like, <laughs> you know, if I set my trades up right, I'm actually, um, potentially could end up about having 500 grand in the bank, which sounds crazy, oh. right? But you know, <laughs> when you trade out Cook and Ponga and David Fafita and Nathan Cleary and uh, you bring in the different guys in, like, that's how you can end up with that much cash sitting around. <laughs> yep. I understand. And that's going to be a big, bankroll for the next couple of weeks i imagine you've got some big plans let's move along though to the last sort of cashy for the front row forward that's been popular and you know like this guy because he's a brisbane bronco tom flegler started off the season pretty well he's averaged 54 minutes a game with 57 and 50 minutes the first two rounds 63 points a game so on the surface it looks great but you know he's only 294 odd k he does have the be of minus 34 but obviously, you know, the, even though TPJ is still out, Matt Lodge is now back from his ACL injury. You know, that's that's a big boost for the Broncos, but it's a massive drawback for Flegler that I don't think enough people are sort of looking at. And obviously, Carrigan's got that 13 jumper. Lodge is going in at prop. You've got Joe O that's going to be back. Even if he's on the bench, he's going to get some of those middle minutes as well. Even with some of these guys out, I, I don't really see Flegler getting the same sort of minutes. If Flegler gets named on the bench, which is quite possible, it might might happen, um, then it would probably save a lot of people heartache because they will reverse their trades. But I could very well see him get named and, you know, play 40-something minutes and or around 40 minutes probably even if he starts with the rotation that, that Seabold might end up doing. I'm really not into him. You know, part of it is because he's, he's 295k, so it's not a cheap cash grab. And there's all these other guys. Like, why wouldn't you get a Tanil Brown for heaps less or a Gula for a lot less still? I don't understand why Flegler's getting all this love aside from he's a really good player in real life to watch. Yeah, I, I just think maybe it's just the whole, you know, how good he looked in round two, right? And he played 15 minutes and stuff. So, look, I agree. Um, I can't see him getting more than 35, 40 minutes, even if he does start still or whatever. Uh, the reality is, is just, you know, Lodge is going to get his minutes pretty soon, straight away, if not straight away, um, you know, the first round. Uh, Joe O is definitely going to get more minutes than, um, Reese Kennedy or whoever it was, you know, just being bench fodder previously. So, you know, maybe Alex Glenn doesn't play 80 minutes and that's where they, they find some extra time or whatever. But, you know, as much as I love the kid, like he's one of my favorite players to watch at the moment. Can't see him being, you know, getting more than 40 minutes all up. Having said that, that could still be enough for him to make money. Like if you've got, if you've got all the cheapies, if you've got Tanoa Brown and, and whatever already, then yeah, I don't mind Flegler as a two-week cash grab. Um, if, if anyone gets re-injured, for example, he definitely jumps up a little bit more and then probably gets back to playing 15 minutes and then he becomes a startable option for your 17. But, yeah, look, uh, as an overall option, I think, yeah, he's certainly a distant third to the two guys we've already talked about so far. Yep. Uh, on the points front, we're not even going to talk about this guy, Wilfred Payne Haas. This is an opportunity for teams to fix the errors that they've made as well. That includes, you know, making sure they've got the guns that are going to fire. Payne Haas is averaging 78 points a game again this season, the same as what he averaged last year, 74 and 81 the first two weeks, uh, 60 points in raw base he's averaging. Just pay the money now that you've got the five trades. Get Payne Haas in. You need points for the season. Front row forward's not great for points. Just stabilise it by getting one of the best forwards in the game. Let's just move on. We're not even going to spend time on it because we don't have enough. Let's talk about yep. risk. Now, there's three forwards that I've got here under our risky category that people are going to be looking at. The first one is uh, over at the Storm, Tui 
Kamakamaka started off the season really well. Um, and I understand the interest. He scored 52 and 74 points as a starting number 10. Still only averaged 46 minutes a game, so it's not like he was in huge minutes. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some changes and things in rotations and so forth, but it does mean that, uh, you know, for 295k, he's a minus 35 BE. Um, again, though, the other guys look a lot better, a lot safer. Do you see him as maybe someone who's going to keep starting for the Storm and going to keep piling up points as well, or... Uh, what's your take on what Tui's role is going to be round three now? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I kind of assumed, you know, in, in round one that he was just going to start up, up until Nels, Big Nelson, um, you know, was was fully fit again. He obviously came back a little bit underdone. I think he had a hamstring injury from memory. Yep. Uh, so that's probably why he came off the bench. You'd assume with the break, uh, he's probably back to full fitness. So I wouldn't be surprised even if um, Nelson's named back as the starter. Tui looked great though. Like he really looked good. He was running much harder than he was last year, and I, I don't know if that's why he got rewarded with more minutes. But I mean, between that uncertainty and also um, the wombat Brandon Smith, he's going to be back and firing, and he he's going to demand more minutes there. For Nukem played lower minutes for some reason. I think I don't know if it was injury related or whatever. But well, she'll be back yeah, on the bench as well. Absolutely. So there's too many, uh, definitely too many minutes to, to be spread amongst uh, a really, you know, a, a pretty solid group of middles there. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't go near him. Like, not when you, there's better options around, basically. Yeah, exactly right. There's just so many other options um, to do it. I guess if I was going to give one positive for Tui, it's that other, over the other guys that could make some cash, he's the best guy out of them all to actually start at that price point. Um, if he's starting and or, or even just putting up the sort of minutes that he was, he's going to score more points probably than those other guys are probably going to give you. So that, that's probably the only little caveat that says it's a bit of a positive if you did have him and he did actually manage to do it. But it's it's too much risk to bother. Um, Twal is another front row forward that we could talk about because he's quietly starting to get some respect. Um, I was talking him up last preseason. He looked really good. Um, and then he's lost minutes again. So, you know... The problem with Twal is it's always based on his minutes. And he went on like a month tear last year where it looked like he was going to get huge minutes as a prop and his base is just base stat beast for sure. So minutes was always going to mean he was going to be a gun. Now, he's averaging a 67 base, raw base, in the first two rounds. 60 and 74 raw base in his first two games. No coincidence that he averaged, um, you know, close to 60 minutes a game. He's probably not going to continue on with 60 minutes a game, and that's why I've got him under the risk category. The same thing happened last year, and Madge didn't want to burn him out, so he ended up taking his minutes down. They went up and down like a yo-yo, so did his super coach scores, because he can't do anything without minutes. So I see him as, you know, it's probably more of a risk-reward, if I'm being fair. He's under 500k to purchase Wilfred. He's got a BE of 4 if somehow Madge keeps giving him the big minutes and he's playing like 60 minutes on average a game, he's going to be an absolute beast and he'll be one of the best props. I just don't, I just don't have the appetite for that risk. Yeah, I mean, round two, his minutes were inflated. I think he played 70 plus uh, just due to injuries. I think McKaylee went down and there was someone else who had a HIA as well. So definitely there's a couple of question marks there. I'd be interested to see what the bench looks like. I mean, we're assuming Harry Grant starting at hooker and Billy Walters is the 14. And, you know, it depends who else is on the bench. I mean, he used to have Cheekam as well. So, I mean, if he's carrying Billy Walters and Cheekam, then that's a lot more appealing for sure. Mm-hmm. But, 
yeah, it'll be uh, it, it'll be a TLT dependent decision for me, I reckon on, on Twal. Uh, look, I agree. He, you know, if he's getting 60 minutes, then he's definitely a really safe option. I kind of think like Clemmer was last year, basically, just lots and lots of base stats, uh, effectively. Um, we saw him get it like his first line break for, for like, you know, heaps of heaps of games. Uh, he just doesn't get attacking stats, this guy, but I like how he plays. Uh, but just as far as Supercoach goes, he's not the tackle busting offloading type of prop and that's, you know, you always prefer one of those types of guys up in your front row forward just because of points potential there, basically. Yep, yep. I just can't do it with Madden. I think they need minutes to go back down. So, likewise, pretty much for the last guy, as far as our risk sort of guys, and that's Clemmer. Now, Clemmer's an interesting one because he's, he's 617k, so he's pretty expensive. He's actually got, you know, a, it's, it's really weird when you look at the numbers because his average minutes a game in 2020 is 49, okay? His average minutes last year was 61, so he's lost 12 minutes a game, and that was always a fear in the preseason. I told people, stay away from him because he's got a new coach in Adam O'Brien, and not a lot of coaches like to run, you know, some of their star props for big minutes. They'd rather a shorter rotation, which is what Clemmer has been used to in prior years. Um, you know, he played 56 minutes a game in 2018, 2016 it was only 54 a game. He was still just as much of a beast, so just didn't want to burn him out. So I was worried about what O'Brien would do. And, it, you know, he's no, hasn't even hit 50 minutes a game in either of his first two games, but he scored 69 and 72 points in his first two rounds, and he's actually averaged 70 a game in you know, 12 minutes less than averaging 66 a game last year. So he's gone down 12 minutes of game time, but up five extra points a game. So I don't know how to work that out, but... I'm just saying it's going to be a small sample size and I'm going to leave it at that, I reckon. I'm still pretty worried about his minutes. Yeah, I mean, the main thing um, that that I've seen here that's the issue has been Connor Watson. I mean, Watson's played, what, 41 and 50 minutes off the bench. There was no middle last year that got that many minutes off the bench for the Knights. So that I think that's a large chunk of where Clement's minutes have gone. Uh, having said that, I mean, obviously with the lower minutes, Clemens' work rate has gone up, but he's also found an offload. Uh, we know, we know it's a, it's been a butt of many joke that Clemens doesn't offload, but four effective offloads around one, two effective offloads around two. Like that's, I don't think that's sustainable for Clemens. Um, and he also had a last, last touch assist for round two. So that's where his points are coming from. Uh, I mean, even having said that, his, his pure base and his, um, yeah, even his base attack, he's, what, 77 in week one and 68 in week two. So it's definitely up there um, in terms of, yeah, the offloads there. So the minutes do worry me. But, again, you know, I'd, I'd be wanting to wait and see with Watson potentially playing hooker, whether that sees Clemens' minutes go up. I mean, if he gets back, back to 55 minutes even, if he keeps having the offload going, then absolutely he becomes a real, real um, interesting option again. Yeah, and like I should say as well to finish off on Clem, I'm not saying he's a bad super coach player or a bad player in real life, especially, but it's just value. 617k is what he was priced at when he was playing, you know, 61 minutes a game. If he's going to be playing 12 minutes a game less, you're going to be picking up in three or four weeks a lot less, and it's about value. I don't think that you need to spend that right now on a front row forward with all these other options that you can look at instead. So I just wouldn't do it. And to look at the comparisons, 2016, 54 minutes a game, gave him 57 points. 2018, 
56 minutes a game, gave him 58 points. And that was always a problem when he was playing those type of minutes. You know, he, he, even if he goes up seven or eight minutes, he's still only going to be playing the same minutes as what those outputs were. And it was high 50s, which was solid, but not even gun ter- territory. So I just don't think it's worth the risk. He's a beast, but you, you, you're better off just waiting and seeing with him. Pod-wise, Wilfred, just really quickly, um, I'm just going to throw a few pods out there in a couple positions. One guy that I, I, I had a look at, and this is just, just this crazy Barnsley theory where I went, you know what, if you really wanted to blow things up um, and go, you know, it's a shortened season, we've only got 18 rounds left, let's just get some guys in that are going to be guns that nobody's looking at. Fanua Blake is somebody that I actually had a look at in the front row forward stock. So I'm not saying by any means that guys should be trading him in, but as far as, you know, Clem has been traded in and being looked at by a lot of coaches and someone like Fanua Blake isn't. And Fanua Blake very quietly was one of the best props that you could get last year. He put it at 66 point per game average, which was enormous. 51 in base, but he had some great offloads and tackle breaks. He's almost the identical price as someone like Clemmer at 612. And he doesn't need the minutes to do it. You know, he only played 55 minutes a game in 2019. And that's the highest that he's played. And he did 66 points a game in that. I really like the offloading and the tackle busting that Fanua Blake has. As long as he gets his vaccination shot and he's going to sit down in Queensland, which we don't quite know about yet. Uh, I, I actually think if I'm looking at front row forward pods and I'm going to spend that type of money, I, I'd rather zag to, uh, you know, a Fanua Blake. I actually quite like him for this year. Yeah, look, I mean, Clem is sitting at a 9% ownership. Fanua Blake's at 2%. So you're getting a pretty pod uh, player regardless. But, I mean, I'm, I was a Fanua Blake owner from last year, so I know exactly what he's capable of. And, yeah, look, I don't think he's a bad option at all. Obviously, the only question mark is, as you pointed out, he he is one of the ob- objectors to getting that flu shot. So, um, you know, obviously for the first two rounds, he's not going to be playing in Queensland, and that's fine. But uh, across the season, we don't know what that's going to be like. Um, so in, in some respects, Marty Tapao might be the safer option, but he's sitting there at 12% ownership. So uh, again, you know, not too bad at all, but I think it'll come down to a gut call. And I think he's certainly a, a real good option either way. Depends how much you want to pot it up. Um, let's talk about second rowers now. Uh, and there's quite a few second rowers to talk about, but there isn't so many in other positions. So, you know, there's a lot of forwards to talk about for this because there's just so many forward options. As far as cash goes... There isn't really many better than, than Katoa. Um, so Katoa at the Warriors started off really well. Bit of a shame that the season kind of stopped because he was on a bit of a tear. Um, he ended up starting round two against Canberra, uh, played 65 minutes and scored 50 points. Even off the bench in round one, he played 51 minutes off the bench for his 51 points. Uh, so as a base price rookie at 171k, he's really impressed Kearney, obviously. He's on a minus 47 BE, which is the best BE for a second row forward. I think that he's a no-brainer. He's 5% traded in at the moment, plus his ownership already. And to me, Wilfred, that still puts him way too low when he was already being used for good minutes off the bench anyway. And he's, you know, obviously done well in the pecking order to have earned a, a starting second row spot in round two. Even if he's on the bench, you know, I, oh, I, mean, I hate throwing out the word must-have, but I'm going to throw it out with, with Elise Katoa. He's he's a must-have with a five-trade round and trying to make some quick cash. Yeah, look, totally agree with that. Um, he certainly passed the eye test, and it, it suits on the stat sheet as well. If he's named in the team, you've got to get him. Yep, simple as that, guys. And there's look, there's, there's only 5% of people that don't have him trading in at the moment, so you got to get him. Wilfred told you, you've got to get him, get him in. Um <laughs> 
Carrigan is next on the list. And look, Carrigan's going to be owned by a lot of people anyway. But, you know, I said before, this is a chance for people to fix some mistakes with guns. It's also a chance to just fix it with, with guys that they missed that they didn't realise were going to we're going to get the opportunity that they did or maybe they just made an error not putting him in. 325-odd K for Carrigan. He's got a minus 16 BE, but more importantly, unlike someone like Katoa that's just a pure cash grab, you can play Carrigan with confidence every week and he's going to be starting every week. So he's ended up scoring um, 68 minutes a game so far in his first two games for 59 points per game. You're going to get close to gun... Gun stats, he's got 58 in the first round, 60 points in the second round. He should be really solid because a lot of it comes from base. He's got a 55 base. So he's the best of both worlds to me, Wilfred. If you didn't own Carrigan, you should be getting him as well um, because he's going to give you the points to be able to start in your 17 and the consistency of those points, and he's also going to make a ton of cash as well. Yeah, look, totally get it. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, I expect his minutes to also drop. I like, like Flegler. Um, you know, the likes of Lodge are going to be prepared, preferred for minutes over him. But uh, by all the reports, you know, Seabot loves the kid. So, I mean, he's still going to get 50, 55 minutes at a, at a minimum, I reckon. So, yeah, look, no-brainer. Get him in if you don't have him. Yeah, I mean, just really quickly, he was doing 68 minutes a game for the first two rounds. How far do you see his minutes dropping? Probably 55 minutes is my guess. So he might not average 60. He'll probably still pump out a 50, 55 average, I reckon. Like lower minutes, he's got a really good work rate. Even off the bench last year, he was scoring at over one ppm. Um, coming off the paint, playing about forty minutes off the bench in the second half of the year, and it's all base. So he's a hard worker, uh, really smart kid too. So he, he's got a little good footy IQ as well as, I mean, he's doing like a, a physio degree or something as well. As well, so he's certainly not dumb. Yeah, uh, look, every report from him being positive. I will say, before we move on, if he is going to hit some attack. The Eels for a few years now have given up heaps of attacking points to middles, um, mostly props, but also to locks. Uh, so, you know, they're playing the Eels the first game back. Uh, that could be a chance to get some middle points there, either a line break or a try himself. Luciano Lelua, the next guy we're going to speak about. Um, I have Luciano because he's only 434k, got named to start, so I thought that he'd do pretty well. And, you know, he has done really well. He's probably surpassed my expectations as far as how fit he's looked um, and how not lazy he's been at the Tigers, which is nice. He's got 64 and 80 points in the first two rounds. Both of them he scored a try, though, and he's got a 47 base, but he is an edge player, so you kind of expect that. He played 80 minutes in both of those games, so and that's what I wanted to see from him. So I was really happy owning him. And he also gets to play uh, the Sharks and then the Titans in the next two weeks of the new draw. Obviously, the Titans have always, on the edges, given up a lot of points. Really, everywhere they give up a lot of points. For an attacking player like Luciano, that's a really good matchup for him. So, at his price, like, I'm, I'm a really big fan of him. Look, I agree. I mean, he's, in terms of his base and base attack, he's actually doing better by one point than David Fafita. So, I think that speaks volumes to how well he's done in the first two rounds. Um, I'm all for keeping on Leilor, and I've, in fact, I recommended people to grab him if they don't have him. Yeah, and this is also when like guys like Katoa and Evan Carrigan that we've just spoken about, they don't matter as far as the draw or even really the points that they're going to get in the next couple of weeks. Guys like Leilua, look at the draw as well, like because you're going to have to play a lot of these guys, and Leilua is going to be premium points. You know, he's averaged 72 points a game so far, and he that Titans game he could easily turn up. So in the next couple of weeks, Sharks and Titans, and even though the Sharkies have had good defence in prior years, they've kind of dropped off a little bit and. 
they've got a lot of young forwards there now as well, and they've got guys like Fafita that might come back to round three and struggle to move laterally at all. So, you know, I I really rate Luciano for the next couple of weeks' points as well, so I reckon he's a great buy. Cohen Hess is the last one of our cash options that we're going to quickly talk about. Now, I've got a real confession to make with Cohen Hess. I, I talked him up a little bit. If he was going to get the starting job and play 80 minutes, I was going to be on him, and I was, and he threw up 38 points round one. In 80 minutes, Wilfred, and I completely rage-traded him. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I, to get the guys I want, I need to trade a second-row forward. You're gone. I'm not going to deal with 38 points in 80 minutes again. That's dog shit. You're not putting in the work again. You're lazy. Went off. And um, next game, round two, obviously, he scores 77 points, goes over the line, looks his barnstorming best like he was three years ago. So, yeah, he can't pick it. I don't know whether round one or round two, Cohen Hess is going to turn up. But he is only 354k. He does have a minus four BE, and he gets to play the Titans' edge first game back round three, where there could be huge points on offer. So he's got a lot of pluses, Wilfred. But you know, is it round one Cohen Hess or is it round two Cohen Hess that we're going to see? Yeah, look, that's that's the that's the difficulty, isn't it? I mean, for me, I thought round one it was you know they played the Broncos, the Cowboys, so they were targeting Brody Croft. So that meant a lot of the traffic going down Drinkwater's edge, and that's where they scored a lot of their points. Yep. So I just don't know if it was game plan that saw Hess not really get as much work. Um, I have to admit I didn't dig too deeply into his stats, um, just because, I mean, you look, he's a great price. My, my second row, I don't really have the space for him, and I've got bigger problems to deal with in my team, basically. So uh, I'd be really interested to see if his run numbers are much higher in, in round two compared to round one. I suspect they would be. Uh, but the only question mark I have, I suppose, is Michael Morgan, obviously injured. So that, that right edge combination that he uh, obviously struck up with Morgan is going to be impacted. I don't know which side Clifford's going to play on because uh, Clifford was playing left side uh, last year when he came into the team. Uh, so, you know, drink water's obviously there. So whether Clifford goes right... There's a couple of question marks there, which does make me think. Look, look I'd put Hess lower down the, tr- down the, um, you know, down the pecking order, but that Titans matchup obviously is very appealing. <laughs> and he doesn't matter. Maybe he's just going to pass him the ball, and he'll just walk over a couple of guys and put the ball down. Yeah, and I mean, look, if you're going to, his runs didn't go up that much. He went up a few runs. He's only got a 42 base, and his base round one was 36, and his base round two was 48. So he's not going to have a good base, but. It's a tricky one because, I mean, if you were going to look at someone like Carrigan, who you think minutes are going to go down, but he's a much better player and he's a lot more solid, you know, it might actually be better to go for a Hess because some of these trade-ins, as a just a strategy you need to think about, you should be looking at immediate points because now more than ever, you're not going to be able to catch up. Like, I'm absolutely shitting myself that there's no buy-rounds because that's always my saving grace. Even when it doesn't work, at least it gives me hope for the first half of the season. That I can go, okay, it's alright that you're far behind, Barnsley, because once these buy rounds come, you're gonna move up, you know, 25,000 spots, and it's just gonna be great. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but at least you got that there. When you don't have that there, you really do need to look at a week to week proposition with all these trades and with the shortened season and say, we've got to score points too, guys, how are we gonna do this? Cohen Hess is gonna score more points probably than what Carrigan is this week at least. So you're gonna get bulk weeks this week, bulk points, sorry, this week. So maybe he's someone that's actually better than Carrigan just in a short term if you're going to sell him in three weeks and you think he might, you know, ton up against the Titans. 
Yeah, look, I think it's a really good point that you make there that you've, again, you've got to balance that points, uh, maximizing points and obviously generating cash. So with has been a negative four break even, uh, perfect matchup. Yeah, look, I can't blame anyone for taking a punt on him. Um, like I said, I just, there's a couple of things in there I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, obviously not having Michael Morgan is probably the biggest one right now. Yeah, there's definitely risk with him and there isn't with the other guys. Moving along onto the points front, if you want to generate points, there's just two words that you need to know. Lolo and Madison. That's basically it. That's your points for your second row forward and really that's your points anchor for your whole bloody team. Um, I didn't have Lolo and Madison. I had Payne Huss, thankfully. Uh, but Lolo and Madison, I didn't have either of them. I had Madison until kickoff Wilfred and then I changed it right at the last minute kicking myself that I did, but that's how it goes. I'm getting Lolo and Madison both in this week. They're my priority trades for points, so I've made it happen. I don't see any argument not to get Lolo um, the way he started the season. Madison, I guess I can see some argument, but you know yourself that your edges have been a little bit susceptible at times, and I thought Madison looked really good round one. Yeah, look, I think the thing with Madison we're seeing is that he, right now, is much more happy just to truck it up himself. Um, as a Wonga Blake owner, it's been frustrating watching the ball just die with Madison every single time, yep. uh, which is great for Matto, but not good for Blake. So, you know, whether that's good for the Eels overall, um, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I think he's a great, great option. Obviously, we saw his attacking potential, you know, last week. Well, sorry, not last week. I wish it was last week. Last round, uh, when, when he, you know, went large against the Titans. Um, you know, the Broncos, he does get to run at Milford. Um, which it's, it's yeah, he, Milford has struggled in the past, we know that. <laughs> but to be honest, the, the, the weak edge is definitely the right edge for the Broncos, and that's why I'm so keen on uh, Dylan Brown. <laughs> I just think there's going to be points there, because Brody Croft is just, uh, he's not good at defending. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a constant concern, and, you know, points have been leaked on that right edge every single, uh, well, both rounds so far. So, um, look, having, sorry. Got sidetracked by the Broncos yet again, but look, Matter, Matter will be fine. Like, he's gonna be potentially a top three, definitely top five back rower by the end of the season, I reckon. So, yeah, lock him in now. Break even 48. So if you can't get him this round, then next round's fine. Yep. I'm getting both of them because I want the points now, and I think that he's gonna score well against the Broncos. 62 and 86 points the first two rounds. Running at Milford, big tick there. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, I, I really think there's quite a drop off in the second row. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of good players, but the elite guys, you know, Lolo and Madison are right near the top. So I think anchoring with those guys straight up, you're gonna help yourself out a lot when you've got the flexibility with the five trades. But like Wilfred said, next week's fine. Go for next week with Madison if you need to. Just make sure you get one of Lolo and Madison this week if you want to balance your points out. Uh the risky option, um, people are starting to talk about Gerbo again. You know, one of the other winners, yeah, you know, we had was it Fatima that was talking about um, getting Gerbo in? I'm pretty sure in the latest Supercoach um, article. She was talking about getting Gerbo in. A lot of other people have spoken about getting Gerbo in as well, uh, just because of the value and the fact that, you know, he's had some layoff, so he's going to be healthy, which is definitely true. But he's really turned into a plotter, which me and Billy have lamented in the past million podcasts. He scored 61 <laughs> and 52 points in the first two rounds. That's nothing for me to be excited about at all. Um, I don't want a guy that's going to be 50s and low 60s, and that's all that he looks like he's going to be. Closer to 600k, I, I just see too much risk that we're just going to get the plotter, you know, oversized James Graham halfback now playing for Manly. 
that Des has the likes to have, and I don't really see it changing too much. Yeah, I mean, as a Jerbo owner from last year, I certainly was frustrated seeing how he was being used. It seems like it's more of the same this year, so... Look, is he going to lose cash? Probably not. I don't think he'll drop below 570 all season. So if you want to save potentially 56, 57 option, uh, averaging player that has the potential to score higher, then absolutely he's a safe option. But, um, you know, there's probably better, better choices that you could look at. I mean, I'd probably roll the dice on Jairo ahead of Durbo, mm. basically. Well, I mean, look, Madison, we just spoke about being elite, and he's only, he's less than 40k more. Like, find the 40k for Madison. Just find it somewhere. <laughs> Pod-wise, I'm just going to quickly give a shout-out, because you got to talk about the Broncos so much, I feel like we haven't spoken about the Roosters once, because we haven't. So, um, <laughs> my boy Angus Crichton. All right. So, he did get to start around two, and he threw out 67 points in his 80 minutes. Um, and he was getting some tackle breaks and actually looking a bit better. Uh, and I, I mentioned in the preseason pods that the last couple of months of last season, he did look really good and he did score very well. He just has to start and get his 80 minutes. TLT is going to be completely, you know, the 100% the thing you need to base his whole decision on is if he's named in the back row to start. If he is, I reckon he's a great pod. I wish I had a six trade. I'd be getting him in this week to play South, being his old team, obviously. Um, and then the next week he's got the Broncos with that edge that he's going to be running at as well. Who cares if it's Croft or it's Milford? Either way, it's going to be points. So that's going to be good too. So 530k for Angus Crichton. If he's starting, you can get the jump on a lot of other coaches and um, and have a really good pod that might be one of the elite second rows of the year. Yeah, look, I'm, I've been an Angus fan since he broke out onto the Supercoach scene, but I just I don't see it. I think Robbo's happy to use him. Um, off as a bench forward, uh, he seems to prefer Albo for better or for worse. <laughs> so it's it's tough. I mean, I kind of feel like, and this is a bit of a you know like a longer term thing, but he seems like the type of guy that'd be really good to have. You know, once you build a little depth, let's say you got seventeen starters, and then you want to have one or two guys like Angus Crichton, who people aren't going to trade him in if he suddenly starts around because Gordon has to sit out for a week or whatever. You know what I mean? And then you plug him in because he's going to average 65 to 70 plus potential for more uh, if he plays 80 minutes. And, you know, we know he's capable of those attacking stats. So, like, that's the type of the role I think he could have um, as far as, you know, for your super coach team. Uh, as for where he grab now, like, I, I can't see it. I, I genuinely think he's going to be on the bench um, when he's named. But, you know, if he's starting, then absolutely keen for it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm getting too excited about it because I just got to talk to Roosters for the first time an hour in, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily get in this week, um, even though I did make the sixth trade remark. I'm going to wait until next week because he's not going to go up. He's only played the one game. I'll miss out on his South Revenge game of 120 points, but he's going to play the, <laughs> he's going to play the Broncos the week after that. So I'd be targeting him for round four. Hopefully we have more of a draw out then, and then you also get to see a full game if he's named a start, make sure that he actually plays the 80 minutes. But round four, I'm I'm looking at him really hard as a pod. Let's move on to the halves, Wilfred. Sorry, before you jump ahead, I just wanted really wanted to quickly mention um, the Bulldogs' edge, Renouf Tamaga. Yep, yep, yep. Might be starting for Stimson's edge, so that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, if he does start, then. He's uh, pretty interesting. Oh, I really he, like Tumaga too. He's um he's had a lot of potential for a lot of years. I've been waiting for him to come through. Yeah, so two forty five k neg ten break even. It's his third game, so 
just keep an eye out, obviously. Average 44 a game in only 28 minutes as well, so he doesn't need much more of a boost to get his uh, points right up there to even gun Yeah, stats. I think he did score a try, though. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, he did. In, in round two. Yep. Yeah. He still he but, still always runs it around 1.1 to 1.2 sort of PPM, so... Yeah, if he's starting on the edge, then definitely a lot of interest there. No, that's a great shout and a good segue into our uh, halfback talk. Uh, there's only one guy that I'm going to quickly touch on, and that's for Cash. Jerome Luai, I'm interested in what you kind of think about this. I, I started with him. A lot of people obviously did. But if you're looking for a half and there's, or even a 5'8", because he's a jewel, there's going to be some guys that are going to want to cash out some guns, and maybe they've got a few guns there, you know... Oh, I'll probably have to jump off Cody Walker. Um, other people are going to have to jump off a Munster. No one really better as far as making cash at 257k price point than what Luai will be. One of the things that I do like about him, Wilfred, is he's got the minus you know, 11 BE, but he's also got the next two rounds without clearing. Uh, and, you know, that Warriors matchup in round four. He's got Newcastle first week without Ponga. Round four, he's got uh, New Zealand. And that New Zealand game, you know, I expect him to take control a bit more without Cleary there. Uh, and that New Zealand game, I think he'll enjoy running against them because he, he definitely runs the ball a lot. So he's got real potential in the next couple of weeks to even you know be a borderline starter in year 17. Yeah, it's tough with Luai because you remember when he first broke out, right? When he, when he had that 100-plus score when I think Maloney was at origin and so was or Cleary was as well. I, don't, I can't remember exactly, but... You know, that's why we were so excited about it. We saw the ceiling there. But I just feel like he hasn't played like that at all for, for ages. Like every time we expect him to do well, he's never really had a, you know, a really commanding game like he did that time. And, and my concern is like with Matty Burton there, I actually rate Burton as a better player than Luai. And I can imagine, I can see Burton actually taking more control. Um, and even though he's, he's obviously hasn't played so far this season. So that's my concern with Luai. Obviously, I don't know how the Panthers are going to travel. As you mentioned, Appian probably stepping up and taking more control, uh, from Hooker. So yeah, that's my hesitation there. I mean, if you got him, great. If you don't have him, I don't know if I'm, tra- I don't know if I'm trading him in. I probably would prefer to go for a drink water with who's got the Titans matchup. Um, or, you know, going for Dylan Brown, which I'm, I'm just such a big fan of him. <laughs> oh, I'd much rather drink water. Um, it would be more so if you've got him when you're getting him in with another trade. I, I know what you're saying because I actually, despite me talking him up, I actually don't like him as a player and I don't even know really why he's the starting half in the NRL. Um, he frustrates the hell out of me because when I'm watching these games, it's so often he just goes himself. Funnily enough, what I don't like about Dylan Brown he just goes himself all the time. Um, he doesn't seem to set <laughs> things up very well. Um, he doesn't seem to try to either. He steps back in or tries to find a break somewhere in the middle. For the next couple of weeks, the matchups and the price point, um, I can see the appeal. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to do trades that... Uh, I guess I got stuck doing this trying to fit in my trades where it was like you get to that fifth trade and you're like, right, I'm definitely getting these other four guys. And I'm going to have to make a sacrifice somewhere to find, you know, 50, 70, 80 grams. I just, I need the extra money to do what I want. And I'm happy just to jump off someone and burn a trade. You know, if I owe George Williams, for example, just off the top of my head, George Williams is about $80,000 more than Luai. You know, that could be your money. And you may actually make more cash doing that out of that player as well. Um, and you might get better points next two weeks as well. So that's just an example off the top of my head, though. If you were desperate for cash, you could look at something like that, I guess. 
yeah, look, I think if you're really desperate, then absolutely that's one of the options. But I kind of feel like, you know, there's probably, you know, you can probably downgrade the, someone to, to Noah Brown or something like that, which I probably, probably would prefer rather than teaching, you know, someone like George Williams straight away. Oh yeah, for sure. And it like, really is team dependent. It depends on how many of these other guys that you have already in your squad. Um, yep. as far as points go, I've just got one word, Mitchell Moses. Everyone doubted him. I, I, I stuck strong. I captained him against the Gold Coast outright for his 108 points. And um, that 32 points against the Bulldogs round one, distant memory. So I'm <laughs> I'm loving Mitchell Moses. Even still months later, I think about that night, watching that 108-point game. But um, he's averaging 70 points a game at the moment. Obviously, it's the peaks and troughs the first two rounds. But he does play the Broncos and then Manly. You know, the Broncos, they've put points on you guys before. I'm not too worried about that being a, a poor game for Moses. Manly might be a little bit harder, but we don't know about the rest of the draw, which is going to be heavily Moses-dependent. But I think if you're a Nathan Cleary owner, you know, 579k, you're going to make uh, 50-odd grand out of that downgrade from Cleary to Moses and have probably the second-best halfback behind Cleary for the rest of the year. He's going to be in your side the next two weeks to plug that gap. I, I can't see many better options if you own Cleary and you need to get a half in. Um, I... I really rate Cleary and Moses as the top two. Yeah, I don't know. 108 points when the Eels scored 46. Are you really that happy with it? <laughs> what did you want, 200? <laughs> well, Dylan Brown scored 123. <laughs> he's outscored out- Moses both weeks. That's what I mean. Like, You're- I'm seeing all this hype for Moses, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, Dylan Brown stepped up. He's taking more ball. And that's why, like, he's scoring better. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like, you know, he's certainly could be the second best halfback option by the end of season. But right now he's the fourth, despite having 108. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just think he's 40% owned. That's the, that's the real issue for me. Like if you don't have him, like you're not gaining anything by getting him. I kind of feel like you're better off taking the risk. Uh, if you're a Cleary owner, um, jumping on someone who's lower owned, antipod Moses for the next two weeks. Hope he only averages, you know, 50 or whatever, and hope the guy you jump on averages 70. And that's 40 points you've made up on all the Moses owners. I just don't see that many other good options. I mean, for halfback, you mentioned Dylan Brown. We're going to talk to, to him in a minute. I got him under the 5-8 talk. So he's one. Sure. Cleary's obviously out. Who's the other halves that you have in contention? SJ, Tigers and Cowboys. Well, we're going to talk about SJ in the 5-8 talk as well. So, all right. Okay. I'll give you that one as well. Okay, so there's a couple yeah. other options. I mean, you're, you've always been a fan of Mitch Pierce, coming off 106. Mate, why are you reading my run sheet? You're not even over here, all right? It's like we're sitting next <laughs> to each other. Just, just, uh, just back off, all right? Now we're, going to talk, now we're going to talk about pods, everyone, okay? We've got two pods to talk about. The first one's Mitch Pierce. <laughs> he is uh, minus 10 BE, 459K. I actually think that he's a fantastic pod. He um he was one that I was keen on for the start of the year, actually. He threw up 48 points and 106 points the first two rounds, and he looked really good, actually, that second round. Um, he's got Panthers, obviously, with no Cleary, and then he does have Canberra, which is going to be a tougher game. But they're not going to have Ponga, so I expect his usage rate to go up a fair bit. The other thing with Pierce that I like is uh, over all the other options, and we've just discussed a few of them, the premium options is at least, you know, 120 grand less than he's only 459k. So I see him as a great downgrade to, to free up cash. Um, if you needed that extra cash, like we spoke about for some other trades, Cleary to Pierce as a pod move. I think that's great. At least for this week, I think that he's going to do really well. 
Um, so that was that was my first pod, Wilfred. You kind of ruined the excitement for me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> but look, I agree. I think he could be quite a good option. Like we saw, you know, he, he went on a um, what a six week run where he averaged like a hundred eight weeks. Right. Sorry, uh, but you know he, he's been capable of an extended period of where he can average you know ninety hundred or whatever over that time. Uh, but we also saw him, you know, he averaged like 30 or, or 25 or whatever for the last six rounds or something like that. So it's, it's really, yeah, he's really hot and cold. I mean, you could argue he's hot because he's just come off 106, but that was two months ago. So <laughs> look, I, I don't mind the, if, you know, as far as risky picks go, I mean, he's five, five, six percent ownership. He's got the negative 10 break even. So he's at the very least, he's going to do well for the next two rounds money wise. And the draw's not bad for the Knights with, oh, well, the Raiders aren't ideal, but the Panthers, you know, without Cleary, could be some points there for sure. Yep, really like him. Uh, I think he's the best half for that price point. Um, I don't think you're going to find anyone around that price point. The other pod that I was going to mention was Sean Johnson, another one ruined by Wilfred going off a bit early again. <laughs> um, SJ's... A bit more expensive. He's going to cost you 130k more, 140k more, 585 grand to purchase SJ. But he started off with 95 points against Souths, 28 points in round two. But that wasn't against the Storm, so you can kind of discount that. And like Wilfred said, the next two rounds, if you're looking for some pod points quickly, West Tigers and North Queensland Cowboys, two of the easier matchups compared to some of the other draws that we've got. So that's a pretty good two weeks. I think that the big thing, though, for me with, with SJ Wilfred is one of the positives of this layoff is you've got guys that have got niggling injuries and keep getting hurt. They've had a couple of months to heal, and SJ doesn't need fitness or anything like that. He just needed to heal. Yeah, it's A couple of months is going to do wonders for his legs with his quad injuries and everything else that he keeps getting. You know, I, he, he could come in and really fire and be healthy straight up, um, and he was already going pretty well when he was a bit underdone round one anyway. So... I really like SJ as a pod as well. Um, he can obviously be a half or a five eight, so he's got the jewel. So um, yeah, I'm, I was actually considering him um, with Cody Walker going down to SJ. Yeah, look, I mean, he's got a pretty decent matchup next two weeks. I mean, I can imagine the Sharks will definitely test out Drinkwater uh, on that left edge um, in round four. So whether you get him this week or not, like he's not going to go up in price or anything like that. So. Uh, I th- certainly think he's an option to keep in mind there. Yeah, he's only at 60 BE, so you can afford to wait. Um, I guess it probably is more if you want him this week. It, or you need a 5-8 or half this week against the Tigers, um, then yeah, he's probably one to consider. He's also in 13% of teams, which is not pod territory, but we're going under pod just because you know, ordinarily, Wilfred, he's going to be like 25 even 35% owned when he's going well. Um, you, you've got him at a big discount on ownership. Yep, totally agree. The only name, other name I might throw out there real quick is um, DCE, uh, 7% ownership, but, I mean, he's got the Bulldogs this first round and then Para the week after. And, I mean, he's got a couple of big scores against Para, like 72, uh, 37, and 133, his last three, three outings against them. So he can put points on them. You know, we know he can, what he can do, obviously. So I just thought I'd mention as a... Bit of a riskier pod, but yeah, again, more expensive. He is a bit riskier. I, I, I've always lamented DCE from the Supercoach perspective because he just has too many. He he had 62 average for three years in a row, so he's super consistent in that regard. 
But I've lamented with Billy how he gets to that 62 average by going on these massive runs, and then he has these, you know, three or four weeks of 35 points and stuff. It averages out fine, but head-to-head-wise, it can really hurt you. So I'm not a huge fan of DC if he doesn't have the goal-kicking somehow, which he gets every now and then. So not for me, but definitely worth a shout. Yep. Five-eighths. Let's... I mean, I've got... I've got your man D Brown here, okay? So I'm just I'm gonna throw you Brian, I'll throw him right to the top and, and you can just completely just splooge all over your screen about D Brown for a minute, go for it. Oh look, he's just he's got such good base. Like if you look at his um base, like his raw base, he's he's probably up there, you know, like thirty five or somewhere around there. Uh or thirty, I can't remember off the top of my head, I probably should have prepared better for 35. this, but Yeah, look, so that's amazing for a half. Uh, and then for one, he's got a great negative break even. I really like how he seems to be so involved right now. Uh, and he's got that big score in his rolling average for two weeks. So I think he's the, he's a free swing at a potential keeper in that position. He's got that dual position as well. So I mean, if he doesn't go well, then you, you trade him back to Cleary in two weeks. <laughs> that's, that's the way I see it basically. Yeah. I can't argue with, with the logic, um, but for whatever reason, I just can't get behind D Brown. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, maybe I, it's just completely irrational, but I just always think that there's so many better options that I prefer. Um, and I just, I don't know why. It's, it's unfair on Dylan, but I, I just keep thinking, you know, these next guys that we're going to talk about, uh, less money and going to make more money potentially, or guys like SJ or Pierce are going to get me more points, or I'm, I'm just more comfortable with them. Um, I guess I'm not, I don't have the comfort level with D Brown that he's going to get me the consistent points, and his BE isn't negative enough for me to go for a big cash grab when he's going to cost me 428k to bring in. Uh, if he was less money, then I'd, I'd probably be able to get talked around it, but I just like some of the other options better. That, look, that's fair. I mean, the thing is for me, like, Cleary to him, frees up 200 grand, and it's the perfect length of time that, you know, two weeks later, if Dylan Brown hasn't worked out, Cleary's back in. He's How much does it free up for you? 200k. Cleary's 631 and Dylan Brown is 429. Wow, 200k. What if I said to you that I could free you up uh, 260k or and I could actually make you more money? So, Scott Drinkwater, the next guy we're going to talk about. Minus 34, minus 31 BE, only 360k Wilfred, and he's averaging 72 points a game the first two weeks. Gonna take control of the team without Michael Morgan there, and he has the Gold Coast Titans for the short-term points grab. I cannot possibly go past Drinkwater. 71 and 73 points the first two rounds, one try between those first two rounds. Obviously no halfback. 360 grand. Sign me up. I'm like all over him. Just love trading him in. Yeah, look, I, I don't mind that. But I think for me, the, the reason why I've got Dylan Brown ahead of him is that I genuinely think Dylan Brown could be a top four half by the end of the season just based off his really high floor and how involved he's getting in the Eels attack. If the Eels are legit, and I mean, they're one of the premiership favourites, then I, I can see him being far more involved across this season. I mean, second year, he's stepping up. Drinky, like he's he's obviously got the great negative break even. He's come out really well. Uh, he's only got one try, but he's got plenty of attacking stats in there. I think his base is like, I think round one his base was like 19. His base is and around, Yeah, so he needs those attacking stats. Again, Michael Morgan, Morgan gone could hurt him. I mean, you mentioned him taking control, but I'm not sure if that's him really as a type of player. 
uh, Clifford's a more traditional halfback, so I expect Paul Green to want him to take take that, um, I guess, controlling role. And Drinkwater maybe comes in and, and you know does all the creative stuff. The fact that he plays the Titans a massive, massive um, bonus there. But you know, if you're talking about you know balancing points potentially for uh, and cash, like Dylan Brown is the type of guy where he could be, you know, you pick him up and he could be there for the rest of the year. Uh, whereas Drinky, make your cash and you're selling him off to someone who you, you, you can trust on a weekly basis. Like Drinkwater, I think, you know, against Titans, great. Sharks, I'm not sure if I'd play him. I don't see any way that if I had unlimited money that I would be able to put Dylan Brown in my top four halves. So I guess that's why we're coming from a, from a different angle. You know, like, I, Cleary Moses, 5'8", SJ, Munster, um, you know, all these sort of guys, I can't see myself... Going and, going and Dylan Brown as my run home guy instead of any of those sort of guys. Like, I just don't think he's at that caliber. Obviously, you believe in him, so I understand. Um, if I were you, I'd probably say the same thing. So, I think that's why we disagree on it. So, to me, either Scott Drinkwater or Dylan Brown is going to be points and then get rid of them when they make their cash. Um, so to me, Drinkwater's just going to make that cash quicker. And, you know, after this week against the Titans, Wilfred, you know, he, he's probably averaging 90 points a game. And he's going to go up a lot. <laughs> he's going to cover a lot of cash in the next two to three weeks. Yeah. Look, uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Brown's going to be ahead of those guys. Like it's, it's, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's in the range of outcomes that if he keeps going the way he's going, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's he's second right now. <laughs> so <laughs> talking about small sample size. I know, right? <laughs> Well, if you believe like Wilfred that he's going to be top four, then then get Dylan Brown in now because you're going to try and keep him for the year. Um, well, the only thing I'll say is that Moses last year in the games that he played with Dylan Brown beside him, he only averaged average 55. So it does actually have an impact on Moses. And if Moses is only averaging 55, like he he averaged 63 last year, so I mean that's a pretty sizable difference in his average. So. You know, if, if Moses is dropping and Dylan Brown goes up, you know, <laughs> that, that top four is not as clear cut, I think, as um, it seems right now. Yeah, that's fair enough. Moving along, uh, last one we're going to talk about for 5-8 before we go into the immensely frustrating battleground of centre wing is our points pod option. And I've got it as a pod and also points grab potentially, and that was your boy Milford because I had to give you a chance to talk about him. So <laughs> he's... Um, <laughs> He's got a 24 BE, but much like Mitchell Pierce at the halfback spot, he's he's only going to cost you 476k. So if you're looking for a 5.8, that's not going to break the bank as the elite guys will, and you're looking at a downgrade for some cash free up, uh, Milford might fit the bill. He was averaging 63 points across the first two rounds. He looked a bit fitter. I've actually agreed with some of Milford's comments that other people haven't necessarily that Milford has actually improved his game as far as his kicking and forced dropouts and stuff. I think he has gotten better at that type of thing. So 54 and 71 points in the first two rounds. He plays the Eels, which is a decent matchup for him. He does play my Roosters the following week, so he's probably going to score nine then. But if you, <laughs> if you ignore that one, um, yeah, I, I've come around to him this year. Um, well, I actually wish I started him instead of Cody Walker. I won't, I won't talk about the Roosters yet, because I'm going to say he's going to be running at Flano, right? <laughs> so... If anything, that's all the more incentive for Milford to get on. <laughs> but look, I think you know, the, the, the issue's been he's been asked to play a controlling half role, and it's not him. Uh, I think if you if you read his um, 
recent articles and things like that, he's talked so much about Croft coming in. He Seabold has told him, you don't have to worry about getting guys in position. Croft does all of that. So Milford just has to worry about where am I getting the ball and what do I do when I get it? And, you know, he doesn't have to be barking orders at, you know, his forwards and his, um, and the other players around him telling him where to go because that's what he's been asked to do the last couple of years. And even in round two, like you saw the difference between what he did in round one compared to what he did in round two, uh, because Croft went off injured. So the moment Croft went off injured, Milford went back to that controlling half role and it affected his base. You know, he didn't run the ball as much. Uh, obviously we all remember that massive individual try he scored yep. where he scored like 40 points in one go. And that's the Milford that we're going to see more of if he keeps running the ball. That's just the play he is. Um, and, and while he's looking fit, the more he runs the ball, he's one of the best offloading halves, surprisingly. You'd be surprised how effective he is at that um, because you don't remember it. Like You have to go back to 2015-16 um, to, to remember that type of game. I'll try not to go on too much more about him, but like he's, he's shown that the run numbers are better um, when he's being able to play his natural game. And, yeah, look, I'm not just being a biased Broncos supporter. I genuinely feel if he's going to have an actual halfback beside him and Milford can go back to being a running 5'8", then sign me up. I mean, he's, I think he'll lock in a 65 average. Well, he's only in 70% of teams at the moment. That's unlikely to rise. So he's definitely uh, under that pod label, but he could give you some fast points if he keeps the run up as well. And those pod points are going to be massive at the moment with the shortened season. So, um, centre wing, Wilfred, let's jump to that so we can get through everyone. Talking about cash, first of all, now, centre wing is like one of the huge battlegrounds of every season in Supercoach because it's so volatile. It's going to be even more key this year because it's going to be the big difference maker. 100% behind the strategy of, of rotating guys and burning trades if you don't have other issues just in centre wing matchups. Um, but let's talk about the cash first. Ben Hampton is someone that I also had in my team a lot of the preseason. A lot of people remember I spoke to Cowboy. Uh, Scanlon was on the podcast for the preseason discussing the Cowboys, and we both agreed that Ben Hampton is mud, but he's a pretty good option because he's only 237k. He's come in at <laughs> average 55 points a game after only averaging 26 a game last year, and that's where he's priced at, so he's killing it as far as his price point. Um, he's got 49 and 61 points, but both of them have tries, but playing on the wing... That's what's going to happen. That's what we kind of expect. He's going to get some tries, um, and that's going to be the thing that gets him from 26 points to sort of 60. So he's playing the Titans, so he ticks a box of getting some immediate points as someone that you can start in your centre wing this week. And he's going to make money for a few weeks with a minus 37 BE. So you're going to make a good amount of money. I, there's some other cashies that we're going to talk about, Wilfred, but I can't see a better cashie that ticks all the boxes in Hampton just for this round three trading period. Yeah, look, I agree. Um, for all the reasons that Drinky is a good option, I think Hampton applies, especially because he's available at centre wing and he's cheap. So can't find many reasons to not get him unless you've got bigger fish to fry like I do. Uh, he's one of the traits I wish I could get in, but I think, um, yeah, I've just got to balance the <laughs> points a little bit more in other areas of my team. So it's, um, might be one of the guys that Goes by the wayside. Yeah, I had, I had to let him go as well just because I was making money in a lot of other places and I had too many things to fix up. So it just worked out that I couldn't do it because getting him in, I ended up with no center wings. Like, you know, a good one good center wing and one decent center wing and then like two rubbish ones that I was playing. So it's like, I just couldn't do that with the way the season is. So, um, 
But if you're going to downgrade someone in your centre wing, Hampton's a cashier to go for. We will talk about the other couple of guys, though. Fui Manu has been reasonably popular as a trade-in. He is a dual second-race centre wing. He's only 201k, so you save 36k um, between him and Hampton. And he's a minus 38 BE, so slightly better than Hampton. I guess the key is there, what's his role going to be? Some people have said they don't, they don't care. They're still going to make, you know, a heap of money anyway, even if he's on the bench and playing good minutes. He did get to, you know, play in the 12 jersey and start for Tarek in, in round two, um, and scored 75 points, which is going to spend a couple of weeks in his rolling average. He only scored 26 points the week before that though, and he did that in 72 minutes, which is a big warning sign. So I, I really am going to be honest. I don't know what to make of Fui. Um, even when he got the good minutes in round one when they had an injury, he still scored shit house, and then he scored great in round two when he got to start with the same amount of minutes just about. So I'm not sure. Um, I'm looking for some guidance, Wilfred, because a lot of people are talking him up, and I think they're talking him up because he came on the scene like four years ago and looked like a good prospect, but by this point, he's been around for a few too many years to look at him like that for me. The difference is, is round one, he actually was playing centre because uh, Ravalal went off after eight minutes. Ah, so right. So he came on, and I think, I can't remember if it was uh, Lafayette that went to the wing or whatever, but, yeah, that's the reason why he scored so low. Uh thing is, like, I don't even know if he's in the top 17 um, once once the season uh, restarts because, I mean, McInnes is back, Corbin Sins will be back, uh, Tariq will be back. Um, I mean, if he's so on the come... bench, like, how would you see it? Because I think that's, if he's going to be named, it's going to be on the bench. Obviously, if he's not named, no one's going to get him. But if he was named on the bench, like, is he a consideration for you? Probably not, just because I think he'll, maybe if he gets, like, 20 minutes or so, whatever, like that's the type of role I think I can see for him, um, which means yeah he'll he'll be a, an AE nightmare obviously because he could give you you know ten fifteen points and just kind of ruin his his nice break even like he'd rather get Hampton as a starter obviously, uh, but I mean if if Fui's starting for whatever reason then absolutely you got to go jump on him for that reason but yeah look if he's on the bench I mean if you've got no bigger issues if you've already got Hampton and you've got other uh, good, good center wings in there already. Then sure, go for the cash grab. But yeah, he's definitely. I don't, I don't rate him off the bench for sure. No, I don't either. I wouldn't get him. But in saying that, this is a year where I do think like, if your threshold was, you got to make like a hundred k for it to be an okay to trade them out and burn a trade. It might only be you have to make sort of sixty five, seventy k to feel okay about doing it in the shortened season with, with the trades to burn. So he'll probably, it's he'll just, probably do that even off the bench for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I agree. But the problem is, is I think he's the type of guy you'd have to sell him after two weeks. Yeah. Whereas, like, how many of those guys are you going to have in your team, right? Because you've only got two trades in round five. Yeah, so that's right. You, you, like, 100%. You've, you've got to balance your team for sure. Because imagine if you, you're trying to get Nathan Cleary, obviously, round five. Uh, if you've got, you know, to drink water, he might have maxed out already cash-wise because he's scored a low... Uh, and, and maybe he doesn't do so well against the Sharks and he scores low, so you got to ditch him. So you got to balance your team there. And if you got too many of the, the two-week cash grabs, like let's say you also went with Katoni Staggs or, or Dylan Brown or whatever, and you got to ditch them, you know, your team will be unbalanced. Someone's going to lose out. You're going to lose some of the cash you went for. So, yeah, I think that's the main thing you got to work out. I'm really big for, even with these five trades, plan what you're doing for rounds four, five, and six. As part of your trading, I think that's the best thing I'd probably advise here. Yep, 
Fantastic advice. I'm always big on the planning as well. Pretty hard to do it and don't have the draw, but hopefully we'll, yeah, we'll exactly. get that. Hopefully we'll get that by the time it kicks off and we'll kind of have a bit of an idea with these trades as well, what the future's going to look like. Man is the other cheaper guy that's a possibility because he's got a minus 17 BE and he's only 287k. And I've seen a lot of people talking about him. Fullback center wing dual. Um, but he probably started the season better than what I expected him to. So he scored 49 and 58 points. Had a try with that 58 points, which isn't too good. I don't think he had a line break with it, though. Um, that 49 points in round one was pretty impressive, though, because 33 of it was base, and he's historically been bad at base. So he doesn't look too bad. He does have the Panthers, who he could go very well against, less well against Canberra. Has been some talk that maybe he will even um, spell the number nine spot for a little bit as well. So there is that there. I, I can't get excited about men. Wilfred, when I just think that Hampton is so much better for 50k less, um, I just keep coming back to, as much as I look at man's positives, Hampton's just a better option. Yeah, look, I think I'd have to agree. Um, I will say with man, like, he, he did show in previous games against smaller sample size, but his base wasn't too bad when he played 5-8. So, uh, I think he's, yeah, potentially gonna be an average 30-ish around just in his base while he's there. My concern with man was always his job security. Yep. I didn't know how long he was going to have his job for. Um, there was plenty of chat about the other options in there. And I know, um, you know, one of our, our, our good mates, Luke, Luke Garrity was, um, pretty, pretty certain he was going to be, uh, there for the time being because, uh, I think Tex Hoy, he, he knew defensively wasn't going to cut it. Uh, but it's a more, more of a case that he could have lost a job himself. Like Mason Lino still floating about. Uh, and as bad as he is defensively, I think he offered a lot of, with the ball in hand last year. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I you know, all the reasons why I didn't start with him. A uh, little bit of regret now because obviously he's done, he's done quite well. He's still pretty good, to be honest, um, past the eye test as far as that goes as well, uh, which I never really thought I'd say when talking about Kurt Mann. But <laughs> <laughs> him as a winger, like I always thought that his best spot was on the wing and I've actually defended him a lot because he's had these runs before and at St. George and stuff where he's on the wing for a month and scored like seven tries and stuff. Like, I just think that he's been misrepresented as a fullback. And I thought that about 5-8 too, but he's done a little bit better than what I expected. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a good summary there. I certainly saw him more as just a yeah basic center or a winger as opposed to, you know, a spine player. But, I mean, if he ends up playing, like, there's, a, there's an outcome here where maybe he... He uh, and Randall end up sharing a minute to hooker, and Watson gets kept in his running middle role, which would be interesting, I think. Um, but yeah, not to get too sidetracked there. Um, Hampton's definitely the better option, just because of price point, and you know, you know what you're getting, basically. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, but I wouldn't begrudge anyone if they need a second cashier to go for Man, and I would rank them as Hampton, Man, and then very remotely Fuimano if I was going to rank the three cheaper guys. If we're looking at the three more expensive guys, these guys are both cashies and also points and even potential keepers for the whole year as well. The first one is Kotrick. Uh, I really like Kotrick a lot. I started with him, 364k. He was definitely one of the things that I was really happy with my decision making on. Got it right. He's done amazingly well without scoring a try and he's gotten dudded like two tries already in the first two rounds. And one of them, 100%, was not a forward pass, but I won't go on about it. 49 <laughs> points and 62 points without a try, and I think with one line break between those two games. And he had like 10 tackle breaks in one game alone. He is just 
absolutely killing it with the running. Looks like he picked up Rapana's work, uh, and he was getting the tackle breaks and stuff. Obviously, the caveat there is that despite the break-even of three and the nice price of 364k, Rapana is back. But in what capacity, we don't know. There's a lot of talk that, you know, he's going to be eased in. He might start off the bench. He might only play 60 minutes to start with and all this stuff. So I do think that Kotrick's a good option. He's obviously on a less favourable side, which I know that you've lamented as well, Wilfred. But, um, you know, we've discussed this ourselves between us and... I've said to you, I don't really care about the attack because that's sort of gravy and cream for me on top. I'm just happy with him doing the work because he's got such good tackle-breaking ability and that's sort of what got him going well. The first two rounds, he's still going to score some tries. If I just want this work rate for him. So I'm okay with him being on the worst side. I just want this work rate to keep up. I really like him, and I do actually rate him as a potential um, whole-season keeper in centre wing because he's a young guy that we've been waiting to come through for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying he's a, he's a real physical specimen, right? <laughs> he's just like freakishly fit and large and just, you know, he should be busting tackles every time he takes a run because that's how big he is. The only thing is like, I mean, obviously Storm first up is not great. No. Um, which is so, certainly a downside there. So if you don't have him, does, does, do you really want to trade him in for, for a Storm game? Um, I'd say no, but look, I agree. Like the work rate's been great. The tackle busting ability, obviously 10 per round is probably uh, not probably. It's not sustainable. <laughs> even, even, um, BJ and Rapana in their, in their prime, they weren't able to do that. Um, the question, I mean, you know, Kotrick was playing left wing in previous years beside Croker. Uh, he's, he's at right center at the moment, but you know, does that whole kind of situation change? Um, if if Rapana ends up starting on the right wing again, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this week, the, the, the storm for round three is a good point. You don't really want to push him in for that. I think that the situation some people are going to be on, like what I found myself in, actually, even though I had Kotrick, but just with the other spot, I um I found myself really weak in centre wing, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to have to trade in either a gun or some mid guy that might be a gun, just so I'm comfortable to start. Because otherwise I'm yep. going to be starting three or even four really bad options. So someone might be pushed to bite the bullet now and do that if they don't really like any of the other options as sort of a semi-keeper for a month or so option at least. Um, and that's where I see it relevant. Otherwise, totally Wilfred, like, wait a month until after the Storm game. But I think that he definitely comes in the, in the calculations. I'm a, I'm a Kodrick believer this year. I can't blame him. He's certainly showed it so far. Uh, Yeo, I'm not as much a believer on. And a lot of other people are. He's... A bit of, he's always frustrating. He's 404k, um, but he's got a great BE of minus 29, and he's a center wing jewel. So, ticks all the boxes you would expect, especially when he's gone 95 and 61 points the first two weeks. But a lot of people forget that we haven't seen the Panthers' full rotation yet at all. He, he could very well go down to 60 minutes or something. Capel hasn't played a game for them yet as an edge player. I just put this guy in the too hard basket, to be honest, and just said, like, I don't want to take the risk because there is definite risk that he's going to play less minutes. And as soon as he plays less minutes, he sort of becomes sort of a, a mid-50s kind of okay plotter that could even go worse. Um, so I, I'm actually not going to get him in. I'd prefer to get some of the other guys in instead. Yeah, look, it's a tough one. I, I totally agree. Um, I see him as a safe-ish option because either way, he's not going to go down in price for two weeks. Yep. And he should make some money, given his price point and the break-even. I agree with Capewell being the, the unknown factor here. And 
you know, you kind of expect you didn't, he didn't sign with the Panthers to play off the bench again, right? He, he probably came across for a starting spot. Um, you know, someone who was on the fringe of origin selection, even if that's just because Queensland suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there, there are a lot of things in there that kind of make me nervous. But I mean, one thing that's not really been talked about is what if it's Billy Kakao that ends up missing out on minutes because he's played 40 and 56 minutes so far. Um, whereas yours played 80 and 77. Yeah, Kiko got Harris. hurt during the game though, didn't he? That's why he went, he went off and then he got a, a HIA as well. Yeah, I thought that was just round one though. Like even round two, 56 minutes. I don't think that was. Oh, no, no. round two might have been the, <clears throat> the infamous toilet break where he had to go off to go to the toilet. No, that was last year. Oh, that was last year. <clears throat> that was last so year. So many bad kick out memories of low <laughs> minutes. I just I can't tell anymore. Yeah, so look, maybe that's, I mean, you know, to us, we'd expect Kikau to play 80 because he's arguably the best player in that team um, when when he's been at full fitness. But we haven't seen that for a while. It's a tough one. Um, but, you know, it's a two-week roll roll the dice. You can't really go wrong. Worst, worst case scenario, you trade him out after two weeks. Yeah, look, I guess that's the upside. You're going to make money out of doing it. I can't blame anyone for doing it. I guess it's just it's it's 400K, so it's quite expensive to sort of put in a placeholder that's probably not going to get you big points. And there's a lot of other different options as well. But I, I couldn't blame anyone for doing it. It's a really hard one, to be honest. He might end up being a whole season keeper and being a top well, four centre wing. The best case scenario is he does keep playing 80 or 70-plus minutes and he's a centre wing keeper for the year. Yep, and you got him cheap. So there's definitely big upside. I understand anyone doing it. Um, he's, I'm just a bit too wary on him. Um, this next guy, though, I'm sure that you're going to talk him up a storm, so let's get it over with. Katoni Staggs is the most trained in player by a mile as well, so he's going to be nowhere near pod status. Uh, he's got a minus 34 BE. He's 448k. Good pricing, really good break-even. He's coming off a 121-point game. Even before that, he had 53 points in round one. So he started the season really well. You know, and... I, I wasn't a huge fan coming into the season. A lot of people were talking him up, and I sort of said, I don't really understand if he's not kicking why people are talking him up. Um, I didn't really get it. Um, he, and some people pointed to sort of the back half of last season. Yeah, he had a lot of good scores, like 90 and stuff in there. He also had some dirt in there, like 26 and stuff. Um, so I, I still didn't particularly get it. Right now I get it. He's got a good break even. He absolutely <laughs> destroyed South, scored a hat-trick. But there is... The devil's always in the detail, Wilfred, and there is a little bit of detail that I think people are glossing over a little bit. You know, he only, in those first two weeks, had about seven runs a game and one offload between those two games. He's 121-point game. He scored three tries to get there, um, and with those tries, got a heap of tackle busts and stuff as well. Like, it's... If you have a game where he doesn't score a try, it could be pretty bad, um, and those games are going to happen... He's got the Eels and then the Roosters. I can definitely see an argument to go a different way, um, but it's not a popular argument. So I understand everybody jumping on. I'm going to come out and say it. I actually chose Masters over him, and I'm going to go through Masters stats in a minute, but Staggs is going to be significantly more owned than what Masters is. Um, you know, Staggs will probably be close to 40% by the time we get to round three. Um, so I'm looking at it as an opportunity to go away from it because to me, I'm, I'm all about streaks as well. And Staggs was really hot on his try scoring and attack the first two weeks. And that's great if round three happens straight up, three's happening two months later. I'm really not as confident as a lot of people on just grabbing Staggs as a no-brainer. 
Yeah, it's a different, it's a difficult one because, I mean, Rab won. He only played 52 minutes because he went off with cramp and he just didn't come back on because the Broncos didn't need him to come back on. Yep. So I think that probably contributed to the lower base, but uh, I'm just wondering if Rab too is just because they were scoring at will, basically. So they, oh, they, they didn't him, yeah. need the, yeah, they didn't really need the extra work. So it's a tough one because he's, he is a hard worker. Um, sure, there's some, some games where he's a bit lower or whatever, but, Right now, it feels like 10 meters out, like you want to put the ball into his hands and he's, you'd back him to score more often than not because he's, he's strong. He's got a low center of gravity and that makes him hard to tackle. I think it comes down to, can he be a top five center wing by the end of the season? Yes, he can. Uh, he's a good price. He's, you know, worst, worst case scenario, you make money for two weeks and you move him on if he's not going to work out. But I think that's the, that's the general rule I've been applying. Like, these types of guys that you can roll the dice on, but you can't take punt on too many of them because, you know, you only get two trades in five in round five, basically. So uh, I, I definitely agree he's not a, uh, a home run at all. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, rolling the dice on a Broncos back, that probably could be a keeper for the season. You'd back Osaka as a goal-kicking fullback um, over, over Staggs. But, you know, I certainly can't blame anyone for taking a punt on him. He looked so dangerous. Like, any time he got the ball... Um, you know, even when he was playing 5-8 in the second half of the last round, like, um, cause I think, I can't remember what Seaboard decided to, he put McCulloch on, I think. Yep. And, and move, it was just ridiculous. Like, I don't know what he does sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he decided, oh, maybe I should put, you know, someone who has that utility value can play in the halves a little bit. And, and it worked out. Like, so he ran the ball and scored a try playing 5-8. So. I digress. I could go on for a while of ranting about Seabold's weird decisions. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, um, in a vacuum, when I look at Stags, you can't go wrong, and you're right. Like, you can't. Like, there's no... It's definitely not wrong to get him. Um, he ticks all the boxes, and worst case, you make a heap of money and you move him out. The thing is that you can't... You can't do that with all of these guys. So he's going to... You're going to have to choose who you think is going to go the best. And... I think it's a really good opportunity strategy-wise when you see these things happen to, you know, the old zig, when everyone's zigging, zag and all that sort of stuff. It's a really good opportunity to zag on it and go someone different that isn't as heavily owned and that's a way to really catch up on points. And for me, the best time to do that is when you have a guy that is not a slam dunk and that is a centre wing because it's the most volatile position. You know, if you've got the chance to go against half of super coaches on a volatile area and a player that might not work out, you know, that ticks all the boxes. So I actually went Masters, and Masters for the first two rounds ended up with eight offloads in the first two rounds, nine tackle breaks. He's 483k, so he's not too far off what uh, Stags is priced at. And he's averaged 62 across that first two weeks with his only catch, uh, clutch attack being one line break assist, and he hasn't scored one try, as opposed to Stags scoring four tries across the first two weeks. So... He's doing it by running the ball 18, 19 times a game. And that's sort of what I want from my center wing. I want that base, base attack. Because when Masters does score an LB try, you know, he's, he's lined up just to hit 100 straight away. If he scored three tries, he'd probably hit 150 instead of 120 stacks hit. So oh, I'm really liking Masters. And then on top of that, he ticks the box of, wow, he's playing the Titans. Uh, that, that could be a great game straight up. So. I just see Masters ticking a lot of boxes very quietly and not being the popular choice, but the one that might actually score better than the majority of guys 
jumping on stags. Tell me what you think about Masters, because I'm I'm in love with him after that first two rounds. I think it's back. Definitely agree. Um, he's shown that huge work rate. Did I mention he was one of my five trades? I can't even remember now. <laughs> uh, I definitely had Masters as one of my options there. So if I didn't mention him, he's yeah, he's one of my five trades at the moment. Yeah, big fan of what he's been showing so far. He certainly seems really interested. And I don't know if that's just the new club syndrome or whatever, but he's been getting plenty of ball and he's been you know showing his usual hard work and offloading ability, tackle busting ability. The only thing with Masters is he's never really had a ceiling. Even when he had goal kicking, he, I don't think he's, I think his high school has ever been like 104. So whether that changes now he's at the Cowboys, whether he's you know, going to get fed the ball a bit more so he can do that, um, I don't know, but he's never really shown a ceiling despite, you know, him being quite relevant for Supercoach for a fair while. Um, but yeah, I love the base. Um, he's a great option and the Titans can't do much better, especially if, I mean, it would have been better if Brian Kelly was playing left centre. No, if he's not, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, you're happy to prove him around at most people on the Titans side anyway. No disrespect to the Titans, but they give up a lot of points, and I think they're going to again um, when everything resumes. Uh, let's just quickly touch on a couple of riskier guys. You mentioned Asako. He's minus 14, 420k. Just um, real quickly, oh, I t- his work rate really turns me off just to get down to it. And 420k... Even though he's a goal-kicking fullback, I was a little bit worried about him. and I sort of thought there was better options than him, but you seem a bit more sold. I just think, like, sure, his work rate's not great, but I think, you know, even in a bad week, he's going to still probably score 35-40 because he's got the goal-kicking floor. I just think that's going to be him, you know? Um, so 420k investment, though. Like, basically, you know, 28k more and you've got stags. You know, a, a fair bit more, you know, 65k more, but then you've got Masters. I'd see that those guys as better options. I mean, you mentioned you were worried about Stags' floor. Like, Osako's got a better floor than Stags. So. Oh, because of the goal kicking, yeah, he does. I guess it's more the upside yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, his base and base attack for round one was 58, if you include the goal kicking in there. Uh, in round two, even though his, his base and base attack was only 29, but add another. Um, what did he score? He got, yeah, so it's 37 just in that with his goal kicking. So if that's his base and then, you know, that to me, I think is, it's, I'm, I'm happy with that, right? I'm having to lock in 40 from my center wing every week. And that seems like that's what we can get with the Sarko. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, the, the base argument could be made for, for Yo being over him at minus 29 and 405k. Um, around that but then you've got the better ceiling, I guess. You're more likelihood of getting attacking stats and all that kind of stuff. Yep. I don't see I don't see that Sarko is terrible. I'd rather the other guys, even um, though I said that I've gone Masters over Stags, I'd probably rather jump on Stags. Because oh, Sarko's pretty highly owned as well now. A lot of people are starting to jump on him. But there was one other risky guy I was going to mention, and that's Mansour, which has been gaining a bit of momentum. Mansour's 416k. And he's got a minus 14 BE. And he came in going 65 and 79 points without a try. So I understand why people are jumping on him. I had this conversation online, actually, with a couple of people. And I sort of said, oh, I would even, even though I'm not on Stags, I'd rather go Stags because, you know, Stags is an up-and-comer that maybe that he had, to me, an up-and-comer that started to play well and started to put together big scores has more chance of continuing on and becoming a good player than a player like Mansour does of turning back the clock like five years and becoming the player that he was five years ago. 
that was my sort of reasoning on on the whole Mansell thing. It just doesn't happen that often that someone goes from you know. 51 points a game, 49 points a game, 45 points a game, and then up to 72 points a game. Yeah, I don't think it's sustainable. And yeah, 2016, he averaged 63 a game, but 2016 is a while ago. Um, I just think that there's more secure options, and then now he's got no Cleary as well. They might not go too well against Newcastle, and they play the Warriors after that, but he's not much of a try scorer anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. I just don't know how... Many attacking stats he's going to get. I mean, the base is great, but we've seen his body can't handle the base, it seems. Like, he, he gets hurt so often when he has that high work rate. So it's a really tough one for me. Um, but definitely have him a little bit lower just because of that. Like, he's got this reputation of being a settling gun, and sure, he was there for a couple of years, but, like, it's been sporadic. It's not like he had an extended period of um, years in a row where he was, you know, I was like a top five center wing. So, uh, yeah, I don't he's know. He's turning 30 as well. Like, he's on the, the back end of his career. You wouldn't know it, though, looking at him. <laughs> he looks after himself. He takes care of himself. We know that. Well, he wins some modelling comps, but I don't think he's going to win you a super coach comp this year. I'm staying away from him myself, and I think the other options are, are definitely better ones. Um, let's talk about the very final player, because fullback is interesting, because we've really spoken about guys like Drinkwater that are a fullback 5'8 already. I think he's the best fullback option if you want to downgrade at 360k. But one of the risky points options that some people are going for, and Billy's really big on, and I've seen this question asked a couple of times, even just tonight, Valentine Holmes. Obviously, Holmes is playing the Gold Coast Titans, and he's 563k, so not too bad. 69 and 63 points the first two weeks, which isn't phenomenal considering uh, I think he's got to try both of them. In saying that, it is the Titans. I understand the cash grab. Do you do you see the value in just jumping to a Holmes? Like some people who have done some crazy stuff. Like Billy last week said he's going Ponga to Holmes, and he doesn't care because he's got heaps of trades, which I kind of get. And he's just going to grab Ponga back in the future. But Holmes' points that first week he can't can't pass up. I mean, where are you viewing Valentine Holmes? Because he hasn't been in my plans at all for fullback with all the other guns available. Yeah, look, he's certainly not for me either because. I mean, he's he's shown flashes of what he can do, but I've I've just felt watching him, he looks a little bit off the pace, uh, a little bit rusty, well, fairly rusty. Uh, and look, he was showing some improved signs towards the end of the second game, but I mean, the the two the two months gaps were not helped because he's not like it's not like he's been able to train much or anything like that. So, forty five break even. This is not really a cash grab either. Not unless he scores one hundred and fifty against the Titans. No, it's really going so, for a bit of a risk pod point sort of move. And I just feel like in the shortened season, like yeah, if you go for a Holmes, you're not getting Teddy, you're not getting Turbo. And if I'm wanting to get someone who's not going to guarantee me like a hundred grand, like Drinky probably would. Uh, I just feel like I'd probably just upgrade to one of the top two guys, really. Yeah, I feel the same. He does play the Sharks in round four, um, so he is playing his old club, so he might have two good weeks here coming up. So I get the next couple of weeks he might do well. Um, I just, if you don't own drink water and you can't get him in your 5'8", I, I think he should be your second fullback, and then you can go to Teddy in sort of a few weeks' time when he drops, you know, 120K or whatever he's going to drop. Um, and likewise as well, I mean... I've seen a lot of people trading out little Pap. You know, Pappenhausen hasn't set the world on fire, but I wouldn't be trading him out either. He's got some big games ahead of him, and I've seen some people doing that as well. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine like Raiders and 
Rabideau's um, isn't the best draw back for him. Uh, he had a mate. I mean, look at how uh, look at how the backs for the Broncos did against Souths. <laughs> That's true, but again, I don't know if um, they're going to be such pushovers after the break. Uh, I mean, it's true that the Rabbitohs really didn't turn up against the Broncos, but they dominated through the pack. Melbourne's got a pretty good pack, but I don't think it's quite as good as the Broncos one right now. So they would need to be, you know, significantly more dominant in the forwards to be able to really get the backs involved. I mean. Like that's obviously, you know, that's two weeks down the track, so we don't know exactly how it's going to be. But um, Raiders first is never great, I don't think, because Raiders, like, defensively, they've been pretty stingy for the last couple, well, last two years, really. But would you trade, so, would you really trade out Pappenhausen, though? Uh, look, I know people are doing it, like Ponga and Paps, straight to Teddy Turbo, locking load for the season because they think, no, cash grabs, um, you know, cash losses or whatever, you're locking in two of the top five scorers for the rest of the year, potentially, if not, you know, number one and two. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just look at it. You can, I understand locking them in, and I understand getting the points the next couple of weeks when others won't own them, but you're talking about maybe 300 grand that you're going to be investing to do that early on when you need to really generate some cash. Like, yeah, in a couple of weeks, the combined Teddy and Turbo combo might lose 300 grand on their prices at the moment. Yeah, I don't know about that because both of them scored pretty well in round two. So the break even's not great for round one. Oh, uh, sorry, this this particular round, I think mm. Teddy's like 120 and Turbo's was the deal way round. I don't know. But one other of way around, like 120, 120, one of them's 110 or something. Yeah. yeah, and you know, these guys can hit that in a heartbeat. Mm. Like, it's not like they can't do it, especially, I mean, who, who's, Turbo's got the Bulldogs. And Teddy's got the bunnies, so if, again, the roosters get all over the bunnies, I'm sure you'll be rooting for Teddy to go large, right? Oh, he'll score 180 <laughs> points easy. Exactly. Easy. So then he'll be going up in price. <laughs> then we're screwed because we can't afford him. <laughs> well, we'll finish off on that. Um, I think we both aren't that into homes. He does have a good couple of weeks, but I'd just be doing those trades in other spots instead of fullback where I don't think that you need to. We have met our... Criteria, Wilfred, we've gone on as long as what we needed to. We didn't speed it up. We're giving the people what they want. Longest podcast in the world. But we did a short one with Billy last week, so I think we owed it to everyone to get an all-stars pot up that that hit the two-hour mark. On that note, we'll sign off. So, Wilfred, thanks for going to Trader-Palooza with me. Um, it was great fun. Good to have you back on the podcast and everything. And we'll get you on again during the season, and we'll see how you're going. And certainly... Everyone jump onto the Supercoach Champions podcast. It's a great one as well. A lot of good podcasts out there, but the Champions with Guy and Wilfred do a great job and well worth a listen to. Cheers to the shout out there. Uh, no, it's been good fun. I always enjoy coming on and we just talk and talk and talk. Like It's been so long since we talked footy and Supercoach, so yeah, it's been good to get back into it. <laughs> Hard not to talk about it for too long. Dismiss it too much. Thanks, Wilfred. Everybody else. Thanks for sticking around and listening through. I'm sure you can break it up in a couple of parts if it's too long for you, but we will be back next week. Uh, and next week, uh, we will be going through both Mailbag and TLT. Finally, we're a week off TLT again. Cannot wait. We'll be going through all that next week with a different guest on. Until then, you can download us or listen to us on both iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars on Twitter. Until then, play around with your teams next week. Look out for the questions on the groups if you want to get on the mailbag, and we'll talk again soon.